Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Yes, you got me today. Mike Farwell is on assignment. He'll be back tomorrow. Listen, I, I really don't know if he's on assignment. I just always wanted to say that because I think it sounds so cool. I hear news anchors on television say that all the time now. Uh, when one of the news anchors isn't there, they, they always say they're on assignment instead of they're off sick or they got a day off or they didn't feel like coming in today. <laughs> they just say they're on assignment. So I thought it'd be cool to say Mike Farwell is on assignment and will return tomorrow. And uh, as always, thank you for having me on City News 570. I think we have a great Mike Farwell show that Mike Farwell has a big hand in putting it together and getting the stuff. He's just not here hosting. So um, uh, I'll be doing that. A lot of talk about that uh, uh, regional budget, by the way, the Waterloo regional budget uh, this morning. If you've been hearing on the news, uh, just to let you know that in about a half an hour, Michael Harris is going to join us. He is budget chair, regional counselor and budget chair. And he's going to break down uh, some of those numbers that you've been hearing this morning. We'll talk a little bit more about that budget coming up in about half an hour. But I, I think a lot of people are talking this morning already about um, the changes to liquor laws in Ontario. How do, how do you feel about that? I don't know, man. This is this is something we've been talking about off and on uh, for 40 years, give or take, Right. 40 years of this, going back to David Peterson going, yeah, we'll change the look. And yes and no, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We've been, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really torn. Uh, I'll tell you this honestly. Uh, I, I feel as strongly one way as the other. And first of all, I say it's booze. Should it be easier to get? Is that the problem? We, we don't have access to this medication. We should we should make it easier for everyone to get booze. Uh, because gosh, if I'm if I have to stop for groceries and gas and then go to the beer store, oh, that's just no good. Uh I, I need it conveniently. The 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 other thing about this, by the way, is a lot of it centers basically around beer, beer and wine. Right. Spirits are still going to be exclusive to the LCBO, which, again, I have no problem with uh, that. We have a store that that is a government store and government issued booze. I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, so beer and wine, neither of which I'm a big consumer of. So personally, you know, uh, you know, I, I enjoy a pint at a tavern with some friends, but I don't really have beer at home like rarely. So. It's not going to affect me directly, but a lot of people are talking about the ease of getting beer. So I guess on one way, yeah, it should be easier that we have kind of an antiquated temperance-based system since pretty much since prohibition and, and, uh, you know, beer is at a specific location. And then slowly it actually came into the LCBO, but the LCBO isn't allowed to sell 12 and 24 packs, which I guess is an issue. If you're a beer drinker, you don't want to buy two six packs. You, you, you want a case of 12. You want to, you want a two four, you know? So I, I guess that's a problem. So let's, let's make it easier. Um, I, I guess it should be. On the other hand, I go back to my other statement of should it be easier? 
why why is this and i'm also very suspicious because i'm not a big doug ford fan i think i've made that evident in my times here but he seems to be overwhelmingly uh bent on making sure that we're medicated <laughs> doug ford looks better after a couple of beer you know that kind of thing so his big announcement today and I know that, you know, you, you can't always do the what about. I don't want to be a what abouter. But what about everything else that needs Dewey here in this province? And his big announcement before Christmas is, by the way, more beer, which, by the way, is not even happening till January 1st, 2026. I think that's a key. And, and sure, we're talking about it and it's finally going to happen because that's when the deal is up with Brewers Retail, the beer store, right? The deal is up, and we know how this works. The beer store is owned basically by Molson Labatt Sleemans, which are further owned by companies that aren't Canadian. So we have an international alliance of international foreign brewing giants that control the flow of our favorite beverage here in the province of Ontario. That deal going to 2026, and it doesn't look like anybody's ready to re-sign on that deal, be it Doug Ford or whoever would be in office after that. So that never made sense to me. So to take it out of the hands of the beer store, I, I guess, is a good idea. So you see what I mean? I, I mean, like, I'm fine either way. It doesn't happen. Okay. It does happen. Okay. You know, I, I'm just hoping all the checks and balances are in place. Uh, I know that convenience stores struggle. Uh, it would, it would be good for their business to be able to have, uh, sort of beer, wine, and maybe some canned coolers, uh, available there as long as they are very strict on it. Uh, as far as the way some of these beverages are marketed, well, I don't know that that's the government or the beer store or the LCBO or anything. That's the marketing people. And that's, that's a separate issue to me, you know, that, that, some of these cocktails and, and beers and things and wine coolers are fancied up and aimed right at kids. And that's always been the case, by the way. I had years and years and years ago, uh, I had a, uh, a guy from a brewery tell me that if, if they're not, meaning the consumer, if they're not brand loyal by 16 years old, you're never going to get them. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's why there's there's not that many beer and, and wine commercials on anymore, but as like there used to be, but there are still some. And when you see these TV commercials and you look at the people enjoying the alcohol in the commercial, you know that any one of those people would be ID'd in a liquor store or beer store. Right? It's that whole thing. If you look under 25, they're gonna ID it, it doesn't matter. Well, the people in the commercials would be ID'd in a beer store, yet there they are. So who who are they targeting? Obviously, targeting a consumer, a young consumer, is a different case than availability of the product, I guess. I think it is. Anyway, here's uh, Andre. Andre, you're on the show. Hello, Andre. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Um, good to hear from you. And uh, so two things. For one is uh, the... The, the the beer I, I'm I'm just disappointed from hearing from you that it's not until January 2026. Is that true? 
That's true. Yep. That's sad. <laughs> but there's still a there's still a deer uh, deal deer deal with the beer store, so they can't renege on that deal. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> I was so excited for the people, <laughs> but uh, no, I just I just I, I grew up in Quebec, and uh, you know it's convenient, and that's why I'm for it. It's convenient. I said it before. You know, you go on a trip, you're at the hotel, you go to a convenience store, you get your chip, you get your wine, your beer, whatever, you go back to a hotel. You don't have to do different stuff, especially if you go to the gas station. You know, you go right home. Uh, it saves on gas, so it's very convenient for the people that do do it. Um, and, and, you know, and, and even wine, you know, it's very convenient. Um, and another point is when you fill up your tank in Quebec, uh, beer was cheaper than water. <laughs> it was a big say back then. Um <laughs> Right, like you fill up your tag, we'll give you a, a six pack for two bucks or three bucks, right? So it's a big sale. I, I'm I'm so for it, uh, especially with yesterday's segment. I think it was or two days ago about uh, drinking at Victoria Park. I'm so for it. The only thing I have to say on that is um, hopefully no glass allowed because of the children in the park, right? But my last segment, the reason why I'm calling is Corson Rakoff, my young man. I'm so proud of you. Um, you do you. Um, we're watching you and we're supporting you and go Rangers tomorrow. It's a big one. And I know, uh, the, you know, big, big boys. I think Philip Bashar is not there too. Um, but the other guy is going to step up and I know we could do it. So you All have right, a great sir. day, Larry. Thank you, Andre. Thanks for the call as always. I wouldn't want to see beer uh, discounted with gasoline the same way I wouldn't want to see it discounted right now with groceries. In the I, I live near a grocery store that has beer and wine. Uh, don't know that I've ever have I ever bought. Yeah, I did. I did buy beer there once when I was having some company, and I bought I bought beer there. Um, but you know, as far as the LCBO, again, not a big beer drinker, but I, I live near an LCBO as well, which which uh, I see guys coming out of there all the time with like a traveler, like either a small thing of spirits or just a beer, and that's they or or a guy at the liquor store in front of me buying a beer, one tall boy. And pops it open right out of the store and walks down the street. You know, I, I don't know that that kind of thing is doesn't bother me particularly. He's not intoxicated in public. I would question just walking down the street drinking a beer, but okay. Um, I don't know that that increases, decreases. You know, I, I remember the times going, you know, visiting Montreal or what have you and just having the ease of going to the convenience store. I, again, I'm kind of torn. The convenience, sure. Is is there more public drunkenness and more youth drinking in Quebec than there is in Ontario? I mean, I don't know those stats. I don't know that one leads to the other. So um, I just don't know why, again, this is this is the big announcement that Doug has. How about how about a bunch of money going to towards uh ambulance and 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 uh paramedics and hospitals and emergency rooms and wait times and nope, no, we got the beer going though. Not now for two years but the announcements today so uh let's take one more on this john john go ahead you're on city news 570 yeah i just want to talk about the in and out store i mean we were always able to go in with our empties and get money and cash yep. and i see a lot of poor people the bottom feeders going around with buggies full of empty cans and bottles that they collect we won't be able to do that if they get rid of the beer store. I, I, I mean, don't. There has to be. A, yeah, I know the in and out store. I haven't heard that for for a while. <laughs> I always well, love that. Know, name. 
and uh, glass in general. We yeah. what do you do with all your empty glass pickle jars and such? Well, you you can recycle those. You don't recycle those. At, thanks for the call, John. By the way, you don't recycle those at uh, at the beer store anyway. And the beer store does take, of course, your wine and liquor bottles. There, they do recycle them. They will, and you'll still have to do that. Um, well, hold on a second. Let me back up. The deal doesn't start till the twenty 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 six January first twenty twenty six. So for the next couple of years, we'll be doing it the same way we always did it. After that, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know that, you know, uh, Premier Ford is going to make the announcement official at 11 o'clock this morning. I'm sure there'll be questions about that as to how do we recycle. I don't think the LCBO is in any position to start taking the empties, you know. Um, That's always been kind of the beer store job. I don't know what happens to the beer store. I've had two beer stores near me that have just disappeared, and uh, they're going to be condos. You know, the uh, not the building, but the, the, the level, they're gone. Because uh, I think the big brewers who own the beer store and and have this deal till 2026, I think they saw this coming. And they said, uh, well, this beer store, uh, we might as well get rid of it. The land is more valuable for something else if, in fact, they own the land. Uh, so I, I just think everybody is resigned including the big brewers because um even even during uh the the whole idea of putting it in convenience stores and by the way the 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 announcement is that liquor store will be able to sell 12 and 24s and again january 1st 26 that um convenience stores will be able to sell beer and wine and so will gas stations if they sell food as well and by I, I don't know what that means. Does that mean chips and peanuts and, and beer? Uh, maybe, maybe that'll qualify. Uh, and that that's going to be in 2026. That distribution of those beverages still happens. The beer beverages still happens through the beer store, what or brewers retail or whatever that conglomerate is going to call it. They still will handle distribution of getting all that beer to where it needs to be whether it be the local market or what have you so there's some questions there about that means more deliveries for them and and uh you know you're not ordering huge 18 wheelers full of beer you know if you're a convenience store you need uh you know a trunk load and who's going to deliver that and what's the cost there and so on and so forth so uh, a lot on this, uh, listen. A great show. I want. I want to go through some of the things we got coming up today. Uh, let me take a short break, and we'll get into a few other topics in just a moment. Larry Fedorik filling in for Mike Farwell today, one day only, here on City News five seventy. Welcome back. I'm Larry Fedorik sitting in for Mike Farwell, one day only. Mike is back uh, tomorrow. Speaking of beer and uh, beer in uh, everywhere, beer everywhere. By January 1st, 2026, that's the announcement that uh, Doug Ford will make official this morning at 11 o'clock. And uh, once we hear that, we can talk more about it then. Uh, but uh, there's also the question of uh, craft brewers, okay? Like craft brewers, how are they going to get all their beers? It was, you know, initially it sounds like, well, this is good for them because they now you can get their, their beers everywhere into convenience stores and all that. Yes and no. How are they going to do that? Because usually... Now that's going to increase their delivery uh, costs, and how do they do that? 
We have a craft brewer on the show today, and I will ask him about that, how this might affect uh, his business, their business. It's called Farm League Brewing. And the reason we're having them on initially was because they just signed a deal on Dragon's Den. And it's pretty exciting. It's for a, uh, it's for a, a beer designed for the golf course. I, I'm not sure exactly what it means. I'm not sure that it's going to help me with my, I know beer in the past on the golf course has never really helped me with my, uh, putting or my slice or any of that, but. But yeah, beer and a slice on the golf course. But anyway, they have a beer that they've kind of invented for marketed right at golf and on the golf course. And they pitched it on Dragon's Den and they got a deal. And they're finally able to reveal the deal. And uh, it's got a great name. And we're going to talk to them, Farm League Brewing, coming up in our lunch hour at 1230. Also in our noon hour today, we're going to talk to um, Diane Freeman. She is a ward for Waterloo counselor. What Waterloo has approved is this largest ever, I think, for them, massive building project. I think 12 towers of uh, housing, basically, including affordable housing. Uh, I think it's just off Highway 85, Conestoga Parkway, uh, in, in that area. And it's a big, it's a big move to address housing in uh, Waterloo. So we'll talk to her about that. In our noon hour, uh, in our 11 o'clock hour this morning, that's when we usually do the flip side on a Thursday, right? When I fill in on a Thursday, I love doing the flip side at 1130. What the flip side is, is we come up with a question and uh, just throw it out there and flip, flip, it, flip it over to you to answer. And uh, today's question, I'm going to give it to you here in a second. It's kind of organic, came up organically, came up on the Mike Farwell show on Tuesday. Dominic suggested it when Mike was talking about, talking about, um, paying it forward. And as they talk more about it on Tuesday, uh, it was Dominic who said, uh, called and said, uh, you know, this would make a good flip side question. So here it is, the flip side question. Have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a pay it, excuse me, pay it forward gesture? So I'm looking forward to that because I've, I've had a I've had a couple of cool pay it forward experiences in my life. Um, if I have time, I'll share as well. But that's the question to you at uh, 11:30 on our flip side. Uh, also, hold on, I seem to. Oh, I, I know. Yes, uh, Dave Bryant is coming up at 11 o'clock this morning. He's the VP of Canadian Union of Public Employees, Local 5191, and we're going to talk about. Um, this crisis we have with uh, offloading ambulances and wait times that ambulances have to offloading is when they finally get to the hospital and then they transfer the patient to the hospital. That's called the offload. And uh, those take sometimes ridiculous amount of time. And it's, it's the worst. These wait times are the worst uh, since before the pandemic. Right. So that's on the show today. Uh, what else? I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, the dental plan, the federal dental plan that's being rolled out by the Trudeau government, of course, as suggested by the NDPs, uh, who made it a condition of coalition, say, well, you have to introduce a dental plan. They finally have. We're going to speak to the president of the Ontario Dental Association about what that looks like. And next on the program, 
the regional council budget of uh, Waterloo Region and the budget chair, Michael Harris, coming up in a moment here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Make sure you stick with us this morning. Just after 10 o'clock this morning, we're going to talk about the dental plan, the federal dental plan. Some dentists actually feel like they're kind of being left in the dark on this. You know, is there a chance that the information that has been in the news so far about the dental plan that we know is about as much as they know, you know, I, I, I don't know, but some dentists are saying we're kind of left in the dark on this. What what are some of the details of this federal dental plan? We'll speak with the Ontario Dental Association. Their president is going to join us after 10 o'clock this morning, and that'll be our that'll be our topic for that segment. Um Right now in the program, as you've been hearing on City News all morning, the uh, budget did pass. The regional council, Waterloo budget, Waterloo Regional Council budget, I should say, uh, passed unanimously last night after a day of uh, discussions and motions and what have you. Uh, you've been hearing some of the details. Let's get more from the budget chair, regional councillor for Kitchener. And as I said, chair of the budget committee is Michael Harris, who joins us now. Hello, Councillor Harris. Good morning, Larry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. The first thing I, I have to ask, and I, I know we've been hearing this number about $165 a month as a property tax, but can you explain to me, maybe crunch the numbers a bit, the assessment? Because we hear uh, uh, a nine point something, but then an assessment over 2023 brings it down for a net. And uh, I get kind of confused by that. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure. So this year, the 2024 budget uh, will represent an annual increase or uh, of the average property assessed around 700000 uh, at $165 or $13.76 and, uh, $13. per month. And so um, that, at the end of the day, uh, comes down to a 6.9% increase uh, overall. And uh, look, um, you know, we were faced with significant challenges. Obviously, inflation is uh, is you know, impacting uh, regional expenditures just like they are in a lot of our homes. And so uh, we had this uh, task, obviously, as elected members to to reach a budget uh, that uh, deals with those rising costs, a growing population here in our community, uh, obviously increased service demand uh, while balancing uh, the ability for people uh, to afford these increases. And let me ask this, is it is, is a regional budget like a municipal budget? In other words, it, it has to it has to balance. It has to be income versus outgoing. Yeah, we don't have the luxury, perhaps, as other levels of government to run deficits. And so, um, again, uh, facing, you know, inflationary pressures, obviously, at the regional level, we uh, deliver a lot of the, uh, you know, required and necessary services like uh like uh, emergency services, paramedic, uh, police, um, you know, wastewater. Uh, we, we obviously operate the transit, uh, public health, uh, housing. All of these items are, you know, items that have to get delivered. And, um, you know, unlike, you know, other levels of government, we don't have that uh, luxury afforded to us to just simply run deficits. So, you know, there was lots of back and forth. We started at almost 8% yesterday, Larry, Um you know, and I would say through lots of discussion, we started at 10, finished around 8 p.m. Uh, you know, we were able to get it down uh, to, to uh, the 6.9. Um, I know some will say that's still high. It is. Uh, but again, uh, we are tackling some major challenges here uh, in our region. Obviously, um, making uh, housing more affordable. Uh, we've got a significant investment in, you know, housing and homelessness this year. 
um, you know, transit is is uh, is being used, uh, you know, very much here in the region, and we have additional uh, pressures to uh, continue to make investments in transit. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, we want to be a growing economy, and we need to have land ready to attract new employers. So we have a, an investment in uh, new industrial land readiness uh, reserve that will attract those good jobs to our community. So. You know, the, the list of items uh, we, we could go on and on about, but um, at the end of the day, we, we wrestle down uh, to what I think is, is, um, is an, you know, an increase, uh, but a prudent one. Well, you know, it, it sounds at, at that percentage, when you give it a percentage, it's, uh, it's certainly people crunch those numbers and they hear inflation. Is it this percent? It's a, it's a near number that's around what would be considered high in inflation, but, but I hear you. I mean, I, I, I hear you. People, people want and need these services and that's where they come from. They come from, from the, the local government. Let's talk specifically about some of the items you mentioned. Uh, transit, some good news transit. I guess you'll be able to wrap some more buses, which is ad revenue, which is, um, in other areas, probably not, you know, as easy to get. It's, it's people pay for other services, but at least there's other revenue coming in from transit. Yeah, well, uh, not only looking at the expense side and service expansion, we also look at the revenue side. And so, you know, we are going to uh, wrap uh, more buses out there, um, you know, which would, should generate around a half a million dollars a year that uh, can go towards, you know, more transit or other items. Uh, obviously, there's an expansion for the automated speed enforcement that will be somewhat cost neutral here. But some big investments, obviously, in you know, housing, uh, more for, more affordable housing and housing the homelessness. We know we've got a significant issue here in our community uh, with, uh, you know, uh, homelessness. And I, I would say to you that this is a record investment uh, to move those folks through the system and uh, get them into to something more, you know, either attainable or long term. Uh, I know that's something I hear a lot about from people um, investing in transit. But, but Larry, I got to tell you. You know, uh, residents are also funding, you know, programs that frankly should be delivered and paid for by other levels of government. And I'll tell you to the tune of about $170 million uh, of services that should be funded by the provincial or federal level that are now being put onto the tax levy. Uh, and that includes uh, housing and homelessness, uh, for instance. And so, you know, again, we need a new deal, a fair deal uh, for municipalities and taxpayers locally because those costs uh, shouldn't be borne by the taxpayer, the, the local well, I, taxpayer, that is. You anticipated my next question. I was going to ask you if you even wanted to go in that direction, because I totally agree with that. It's a it's a problem. Homelessness is a problem you feel and, and see locally. But it Absolutely. is a provincial, federal, it's a, it's a national issue as well, homelessness in this country. And that's, I agree, some of the money's got to start feeding down to municipalities. Well, for reference, the annual contribution from the regional tax levy to housing services and homelessness has increased by 111% in three years. And so we're grappling with these increasing costs, more demand for services, an outdated revenue model, and of course, higher inflation. We have to have a new deal. We saw that announced recently in Toronto. Uh, the regional Waterloo is, is uh, nearing a million people. Uh, uh, we face some of the same pressures that Toronto does, and yet uh, local taxpayers are now having to, to foot the bill. So uh, calling on, obviously, other levels of, levels of government uh, to heed our call on this. But uh, again, um, you know, some significant investments, uh, obviously, frontline officers uh, was a discussion point yesterday. Happy to have, uh, you know, the hiring of 18 new officers 
Uh, we're already an understaffed community here as it is. Uh, increase in paramedics of almost uh, 40 some new paramedics to come on board here in our community. So, you know, we're making significant investments for a growing community. Um, and I think, again, we try to do our best in balancing the people's ability to pay. Yeah, specifically um, on the officers, the police budget was increased. That went through. Yep, it did. Uh, you know, $283 million for Waterloo Region Police Service, a uh, little obviously help them respond to uh, public safety pressures. You know, I would say to you again, we made that investment of $5 million in uh, new industrial land readiness uh, reserve that's going to help attract new investments to create jobs. Uh, for our local economy, something that, uh, you know, we're going to need to have. We've always had a great, diverse uh, workforce here in our community. But, you know, it takes the regional government uh, and others, uh, you know, here, other stakeholders to to be in front of that, to uh, to get land ready, to attract these uh, job, uh, you know, creators of the future. And, um, you know, we're going to get ready for that. Uh, on the issue, a side issue of uh, or a parallel issue of homelessness is uh, increased support of food banks as well, who are uh, just seeing a greater, greater clientele and need than ever before. Yeah, for sure. I had the chance of visiting the food bank uh, just a few weeks ago, and I and I heard about the pressures that they're experiencing, of course, at the food bank. Um, we actually doubled uh, a one-time doubling of the food uh, bank grant allocation up from uh, 750 some thousand to now 1.5 million dollars uh you know funded by the 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 local tax levy uh you know to further support the growing demand and need for uh food bank services here in our region um you know and 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 there were there was a a reduction uh for some some groups frankly that received grants uh, uh from the region um of about 10% um, you know that that'll be challenging for some of those groups, and and we we uh, we will feel uh, you know the pain on that one. But at the end of the day, uh, the need for for institutions like the food bank comes at a higher uh, priority for us right now. Uh, just understanding what people are experiencing at this moment. Uh, lastly, uh, Michael, uh, the, uh, the how significant was that it was by the end of the day a unanimous vote to pass the budget. In other words. You know, everybody's on 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 the same level here, working as a team. Yeah, well, you know, we've got 16 unique individuals that come from across the region. Obviously, we've got uh, you know the the mayors of our of our uh, municipalities and then directly elected council. Everyone has their own priorities. Um, you know, I had a chance to serve at Queens Park in a you know uh, in a very more highly politicized environment, and I would say to you, last year's budget um, didn't carry on a unanimity, uh, but this year's did, and I would tell you that you know even further challenges and pr- cost pressures. Um, you know, there was some expansions in some areas that we had to do, uh, didn't all agree on everything. Um, and I would say it, was, it is significant that we had 16 people vote in favor for this budget this year, uh, considering everything that's, that's, uh, that's gone on. Some good debate throughout the last few weeks. Uh, but I would say that that just shows at the end of the day, uh, the 16 people that were elected uh, to represent uh, regional taxpayers got down to work. And at the end of the day, uh, we agreed uh, to a budget that would fund uh, the important uh, services that we deliver here in the region, uh, while at the same time keeping cognizant the uh, taxpayers' ability to pay, knowing that, you know, interest rates are up, uh, you know, folks are having to do more with less. Uh, We have to live within our means as well, uh, while still delivering those services that people expect. So I would say it's a big deal, frankly. Yeah. When I saw unanimous, I was like, oh, that's... 
uh, interesting in politics today. I think it's wonderful. Michael Harris, thank you very much for uh, the work and thank you for your time today. Larry, Larry thanks uh, for your time and um, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. Michael Harris is Regional Councilor Kitchener. He's also chair of the Budget Committee, and that uh, Waterloo Regional Council budget was passed unanimously uh, last night, as you've been hearing some of the details on City News 570 uh, all morning. And there's uh, some other sort of in-depth look from the budget chair himself. We'll take a short break. Be right back with more on City News 570. Residents are also funding programs that, frankly, should be delivered and paid for by other levels of government. Services that should be funded by the provincial or federal level that are now being put onto the tax levy. And that includes housing and homelessness, for instance. And so, again, we need a new deal, a fair deal for municipalities and taxpayers locally because those costs shouldn't be borne by the taxpayer. Michael Harris is regional councillor. Kitchener, and he was the chair of budget committee this year for Waterloo Region uh, budget that passed unanimously last night. Our guest moments ago talking about responsibility, also of uh, well, well, where the money comes from. Municipal budgets have to balance; you can't run deficits. Uh, so, if uh, the cost of getting water to your tap is more, then you have to pay more for water. It's just the way it works, and and increasingly. When it comes to things like homelessness, um, municipalities are saying, not just Waterloo Region, but all across Canada are saying, you know, provincial government, federal government, help us out here. This is all of our problems. It's not just a city problem. As I said to Michael, the cities where you feel it, because you get out and you see a homeless person or a tent city or this, you see it and feel it at a local level, but all those costs shouldn't be borne by local. But nevertheless, some some extra money going towards Resolving that problem, uh, extra money for, uh, police, increased property tax of about $13 or so a month, about 165 a year. Um, and, uh, the budget passed. The budget passed, uh, yesterday. Uh, Rush has been waiting to uh, talk, I assume, about this. Rush, go ahead. You're on City News 570. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Um, that clip that you guys cut, uh, to, to recap is perfect because that's exactly what I want to talk about. I like right. Mike Harris. I think he's I, I I I align with a lot of his of his political beliefs. But I gotta say, I'm gonna rag on him a bit here because I absolutely hate it when politicians talk about shirking their responsibilities. Because that's exactly what it is. I get it. Um, he he wants more money from from other levels of government. But but the way you cut that clip is just perfect because he says at, at the very end he says something like. Um, this these costs shouldn't be borne by the local taxpayers, by the local taxpayers. But what he's actually saying is he wants he wants the cost to be borne by local taxpayers and also spread among non-local taxpayers. And this is the problem with politics. It's one big circle jerk of them sending sending money back and forth, uh, ta- the left hand taxing, the right hand taxing. Municipal polit- municipal budgets have to balance. That's what we need at all levels of government. And, mm-hmm. and really what we need to do is get rid of all levels of government, have a single local government, and make sure that they balance every year uh, and, and stop with this, with this uh, incessant increase every year. Uh, the reason we have inflation is because governments have overrun their budgets for decades. Um. 
Thank you, Rush. Thanks for the call. Make a lot of sense on, on a lot of that. I appreciate that. And and but when I just want to clarify when Rush had cut the clip. Yeah, I guess we do cut uh a segment of his interview to play back, as we do with a lot of interviews. Uh, but we don't when we cut it up, we don't cut it up, you know, and reverse what he said so that he said red when he meant green. You know, we don't do any of that when we 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 don't misrepresent what he said. That was just simply a segment as he said it from his interview as opposed to, you know, running the whole interview again. So I, I don't want to there's cutting and editing, but not not for any other purpose than sort of give you a highlight. Just wanted to clarify that. But otherwise, Rush, I, I know what you mean. Uh, here's Ted. Uh, Ted, go ahead. You're on City News 570. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Um, that's hard to follow there, but uh, I just want to be a little more practical. Um, first off, I think it's unconscionable that the the increase is as high as it is. It is much higher than the the current inflation rate. And I'm getting tired of hearing from politicians about how much they understand the average impact or the impact on average people. I just give you an example, and I talked to. Mike, last year about this, I'm on a fixed income, uh, senior, retired. I don't have a, a you know a golden uh, public service uh, pension. It's not indexed. Um, the tax increase here in in Waterloo, when I include the city taxes now, is going to eat up the meager increase in my CPP. Uh, so I'm net uh, zero in terms of hmm. my my ability to pay things. So um, I bought my current house 25 years ago. My my municipal taxes have gone up 100% since then, while inflation has run about 50, 55%. Uh, I find that <laughs> totally mm. irresponsible on the part of the cities. I also just want to say that, and I told Mike this last year, and this will include his 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 charity. Uh, any tax increases uh, will come right off of my taxable donations. I'm I just keep cutting them. I cut about two hundred and fifty yep. bucks last year, and now this year it'll be about two hundred and sixty-five dollars that charities won't get. Um, if you watched the CTV special last night on the news. They talked about how charitable giving has just plummeted. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not surprised because people don't have the money. And yep. uh, the local yep. food bank is an issue. So I just want to say the consequences of these things ripple through ultimately to hurt those people who can afford things the least. And it's totally irresponsible. And I'm also tired of hearing how hard somebody worked at sharpening their pencil. And, uh, you know, a 10-hour day on yeah. the budget. That's what they're paid for. Anyway, Larry, those yeah. are the comments I wanted to make today. Great, great comments, Ted. Thank you. Yeah, I I mean, as far as donations down, that's – I didn't see the CTV special, but, yes, that's actually a topic we're going to talk about later on with the Guelph Food Bank on our show today because not only does everything cost more, but then the, the people that are trying to help others like food banks and charitable organizations – uh, the need is greater now and the donations are down kind of because the need is greater and it's affecting the other. Uh, yeah. And I, I know, I, you know, yeah, I know what you mean too about, about, um, politicians saying how, how they understand they don't, 
politicians, I, I think a, a, we, we've just lost a lot of respect. And politicians have always been those people that we kind of lampooned and held up and said what we wanted to. And politics was always something that you you didn't bring up at the at the Christmas table, you know, because it was always divisive. But more so than ever, and I think the the respect any respect politicians may have had has certainly dwindled. So it's hard for them to say anything right, really. Uh, but you're right. I wish they would quit saying how much they understand, because I'm not sure that they they all do. Some do, I guess. I'm hoping. Uh, do we have time for one more? We do. Here's Kenny. Kenny, go ahead. You're on City News 570. Oh, it was Manny. Sorry. Manny, Manny, Manny. My eyes are bad. Sorry, Manny. It's, uh, it's all right, brother. Uh, I just This is one of my favorite subjects, because I'm in the camp that believes that taxation is theft. And what's happening right now with inflation is actually, it's, a, it's almost like a weapon of war that the state is using against the people of Canada. We are, this, there, this isn't, it's always explained away all of the time when they've been so irresponsible with their spending the entire way through. And they'll point fingers at corporations or about the way world trade works and this commodity going up and whatever. No, it's about our currency. And it's not ours. It is manipulated by the Bank of Canada along with, you know, input from the government or the state. It is being used right now as a weapon to bring us to our knees for whatever they're trying to do next. People, don't let them get away with it. Don't take what they're going to give you. And don't ever forget the Tea Party that happened, the Boston Tea Party in the United States was over what increase in tax? Do you know Do you know what it was, Larry? Uh, uh, was it the Was it an import tax? I don't know. That's right, an import tax on tea about a, about about two percent, just short of two percent, right. and they began a revolution in relation to that. Look at what we've allowed right. now, uh, Manny. I'm going to stop you there only because of time, but thank you, Manny. Uh, great call, always appreciate it. Coming up after ten o'clock, we're going to talk uh, to the president of the Ontario Dental Association about this new federal dental plan being rolled out and what dentists know about it. That and more coming up on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Welcome back to the program. Mike Farwell away today. He will be back tomorrow coming up this hour on the program. We're going to be uh, talking uh, to uh, the uh, food bank in Guelph uh, who have decided to uh, open up a thrift store next door to the food bank by way of raising funds. And it's really working well. It's a great idea. Uh, and we're going to talk to the uh, head of the food bank in Guelph coming up after 1030 about this this novel way to raise some funds, much needed funds for the food bank. Uh, we were just talking about the, the budget in the last half hour, the Waterloo Regional Budget. And it just money came to mind that just popped into my head uh, because I was doing numbers on a personal budget when I heard the news about uh, Shohei Otani. Do you know who this guy is? I I only know because the story kind of transcended baseball and sports for a few days. Uh, he's he's like this two ways, like a pitcher hitter. He's like this super talented, multi-time MVP baseball player for the Angels, and his contract was up. And there was this bidding war for uh, Shohei Otani. And I was at a live podcast screaming event on Saturday. And a noted sports guy, Stephen Brunt, was there. And uh, I've always been a big fan of his, so I got to meet him. It was very exciting and everything. But, of course, and, and some of the guys there were sports and baseball fans, and they had Stephen Brunt there. So they they started talking about Shohei Otani because this, this amazing baseball player may, in fact, 
be going to the Toronto Blue Jays. That was kind of the the buzz for a few days, right? To the point where, and this was this was true. They they found out because you can do this, you can do this, you can track uh people's private planes. Right? You remember this? Because people got into trouble for tracking Elon Musk's moves and all these different billionaires on private planes because it's a guess public record where their planes are going and everything. And it sounds like a bad idea that anybody could just track these planes, but okay, you can do it. So they, they found his private plane and they were tracking it, trying to figure out if it was flying to Toronto or, and then it was flying somewhere else, but maybe that was a personal trip and, and all this talk, buzz, buzz, buzz. Well, imagine if we got Shohei Otani and we didn't. And the deal was, and I think it was maybe even yesterday he signed with the Dodgers. He basically just went down the street in Los Angeles from Anaheim to to um, Shiva's Ravine to play for the Dodgers. So what did he sign for with the Dodgers? This is the thing. Uh, $700 million. Well, that's Canadian, but really half a billion dollars American. So let's stay with the Canadian funds because I was like $700 million over what? Well, over 10 years. Oh, so he's got to make that money last over 10 years. So you don't have to be a math genius to figure out that's $70 million a year. And what is that? Well, let's say you make 70000 And this is where the budget came in. I was trying to budget it. It's like, if, okay, if I had that money, if I was making $70 million a year, um, let's say you make 70000 a year, which is a nice, decent salary for uh, one person, right? Uh, so you got a pretty good job. You got some little disposable. Maybe you can go a little into saving seventy thousand. It's it's still tight given inflationary times and the expensive province and all that. But seventy thousand a year. Imagine. So that's about a little more than fifteen hundred dollars a week. Imagine your um check was a thousand times greater each week, a thousand times more than 1500. Imagine, imagine that. Uh, it's, it's like a million and a half or 1.6, 1.7 million dollars a week. Uh, I don't know. I guess you could crunch numbers. How much is that per game? How much is that per pitch or per hit? Or, um, is he worth it? Well, I guess. Uh, the Dodgers, like every other baseball team, uh, is not a not-for-profit organization. Uh, they can market this. I'm sure they're selling Otani jerseys, right? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, when, when the Jays rumor was strong, the Jays were already getting calls for Otani jerseys and they would have to have had, probably did have somebody on standby at the Jersey factory with the uh, letters O-T-A-N-I and and the number, whatever number he would have been, and get those ready and we'll tell you when to go and start pumping out those jerseys and getting them on the trucks and getting them into the store and getting them online and, and, uh, you know, shipped because people want these for Christmas. (laughs) But it never happened. But I couldn't believe just the the level and and I'd forgotten because I'm not the biggest sports guy in the world. And I'd forgotten how when sports guys get into it, man, when they they'll follow the private jet and they will just use every uh, means available 
uh, to get the inside scoop on this player. There hasn't been a buzz around a player like that for uh, a couple of years. Some, and I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know the names. Mike Farwell would probably remember these names, be able to rattle them off. I don't. But some really big guy just went to the Yankees. So they have Judge and and some other player. And, uh, you know, it's it's this case where the big market teams uh, are going to get the Shohei Otanis. Who, who else is going to come up with, you know, with the, the Jays would have had to come up with $700 million over 10 years for this guy. And w- deals like that also, by the way, they usually come with bonuses and a free Rolls Royce or, I mean, I, you know, there's just, there's added in these deals other than just big cash, uh, going over. So do they deserve it? Well, that's another discussion about how much we pay athletes. Like I say, I guess they're worth it for the marketing potential. They put the asses in the seats. Mike yesterday was talking also about the uh, attention economy, which is ears and eyeballs, uh, you know, battling for our attention, whether it's streaming services or um, regular TV or just ads on the side of a bus or what it is. People want our attention. They can profit off that attention. And if um, Shohei Otani is going to bring you $2 billion worth of attention, then I guess you, you're spending $700 million only. That's that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's just, that's why I was trying to work out the budget math. It's just an otherwise unfathomable, unfathomable, there we go, uh, amount of money. It's, and, and I, I do this, like when you hear the, the, the richest, Guys in the world worth eight, 10, 12, 30, 40, 50 billion dollars. That's one thing. But then when you hear a guy just handed this amount of cash for playing a kids game, you're like, wow, okay. How much money actually is that? You know, um, I remember there was a, a friend of mine years ago was, uh, had a friend who had a friend. This kind of thing. <laughs> what a reliable story so far, right? But you know, it's true. And who knew, and I think it was Ray Bork who was playing for the Bruins at the time. And uh, he was over at Ray Bork's house and uh, on the side table was a a bunch of mail and there was a couple of uh, check stubs in there from the last week and the week before. And I guess he, I guess he got a check weekly, 52 weeks a year as a hockey player. That's, that's how he was paid. And the weekly check was for like (laughs) $54,000. It was like, and he just noticed the check stuff there. So, yeah, that's when they still send checks out, right? Um, just, just incredible, just incredible uh, amount of money. I, I don't know that it's a record deal, but it sounds like a record deal. I don't know that. It, like, did did Messi? How much money did Messi get to go to Miami? I, I don't think it was seven hundred million over ten years, was it? And Messi's kind of on a wind down in his sport. Uh, Shohei Otani is just just really getting started, you know. He could sign a, a, a billion-dollar deal in 10 years for another, you know, billion. Who knows? Here's Terry. Terry, go ahead. You're on City News 570. Hey, good morning, Larry. Good morning. Yeah, interesting you talk about Shoei Otani. Do you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, talk over the last couple of days, is most of that salary has been deferred 
over 20 years. Were you aware of that? The, the $700 million 10-year contract? So he's been I did a, not. Yeah, it's been the talk around is that um, it's, it's, it's going to account for about $46 million towards the uh, – because, you know, baseball doesn't have a uh, a salary cap. What they have is the luxury right. tax that the, the big teams have to pay. So it's, Oh, so right, they, right, right, yeah. So in order for the Dodgers to be able to still sign other players over that span of time, they've def- Shoei Atani has agreed to defer most of that money to you know whenever after his playing days are over. I think the Jays got off scot free avoiding this contract because you got to remember he he just had surgery for his elbow, so he's not going to be able to pitch for the upcoming season. And who knows if he's going to be able to pitch effectively after that surgery. I think this is second surgery in the last several years that he's had. And he is wow. approaching okay. 30, 30 years of age. So basically if the Jays would have signed him, they were, they would be on the hook for 10 years for a designated hitter. And who knows how productive he's going to be? Cause you know, after, mm. his, after, you know, as, as you age, you're not going to be as effective and, and you're more prone to injury. Sure. So, Sure, you know, the, yeah. Dodgers, the Dodgers have all those reasons. The funny thing that you know that I was thinking of is, who knows if the current ownership of the Dodgers are going to be owning this team in twenty years when they're still going to be on the hook for all this money. So they, I don't know how they're going to work around that. I know that the the contract stipulates that it, you know it, they have to honor those those seven hundred million dollars, but it's not it's not going to be over the ten years. So sure, he did. Otani did agree to defer a lot of that money. I, I heard, no. I don't know if, if, you, if you caught this, he's only going to get ten or $2 million in salary for the next couple of years, and then after that it's going to be like $46 million. and then the vast majority <laughs> of that money is going to be paid out uh, you know, in, in his later years. But yeah, it was interesting yeah. when interesting. I heard that. Yeah, so I think right. Jay's got off, got off well on this one, yeah. avoiding that ridiculous contract. Anyway, thanks, Larry. Have a good day. Thanks, man. I, thanks for all that added info. That's good info, Terry. Thanks, man. I mean, I didn't know all of that because, I again, I don't usually follow a lot of that stuff. Just when when you hear a big cha-ching number, you know, suddenly $700 million, then that gets your attention whether you're into sports or not, you know. But those are great points, yeah. I mean, uh, with, with big money players like that, I mean, do you ever watch Moneyball, the movie with Brad Pitt about Billy Bean and, and the Oakland A's and, and, um, um, uh, the way he, the way he explains it about the Oakland A's, he's like, okay, there's the top money making teams and then there's everybody else. And then there's 50 feet of excrement and then there's us. That's kind of how now I don't put the Jays there. The Jays have a challenge in that they collect in Canadian and pay out in American. They pay everybody in American and all their expenses are in American. Uh, so they have that added challenge of, of, uh, and not everybody wants to come to Toronto. You know, they, the, the players who want to make all the money and endorsements want to play in the really super high profile, um, areas like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, you know, some of the big teams, Boston. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I tend to think that not necessarily Moneyball, Oakland Day baseball, but, you know, finding those, those poor players that only earn a, you know, a million or so a year and putting a team of those guys together and let, let that team run with it. Boy, that's, you know, kind of in hockey, Las Vegas Knights, you know, they're kind of a ragtag bunch of rejects and so to speak, you know, when they first drafted all the players that other teams didn't want and then a little piece of that and that. And, and look what they've done. It's 
it's possible in sports to maybe win without spending just incredible amounts of money. But then again, some of the great players, that's, you know, that's what the market says. Uh, how much am I worth? I don't know. The market says, I, I'll get this. So I, I want this. And that's what you get. Now, um, at the beginning of the hour, I said we were going to talk about the federal dental plan. And here's the reason we're not yet, but we will talk about it in just a moment when we return here on City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik, sitting in for Mike Farwell. Mike will be back tomorrow. I mentioned that at 10 o'clock we were going to talk about the federal dental plan uh, with the president of the Ontario Dental Association. And uh, we got off topic because we had a little problem connecting with our guest. But we did connect with our guest, and I'm glad we did. Uh, Dr. Brock Nicolucci is president of the Ontario Dental Association and joins us now. Hello, Dr. Nicolucci. Good morning, Larry. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good this morning. Uh, the first thing I, when I was first thing, one of the first things I heard about the federal dental plan, uh, as I got details here and there, the, the dentists themselves felt like they were a little in the dark on this entire plan. Is that true coming from the Ontario Dental Association? Well, actually, it's not just true in Ontario, but across the whole country. Um, but really? last, this time last year, we all got together across the country from coast to coast to coast, and we decided and that we'd have certain questions that we would uh, have to get down with, uh, get answered from the federal government. And, you know, being having the United Front, I mean, it didn't matter where you're from. We all had certain concerns about a dental plan that would be brought into Canada. You know, we didn't want things wasted. So we had these questions and concerns, and we thought we were being heard, but we realized late in the year, at the end of October, that we weren't being heard. And, you know, we hadn't even been asked to sit at the table, which... You know, usually the dentists who are going to be providing all this dental care, you know, you think would be at the table from day one. Sure. What What are one or two of the main concerns that you were expressing? Well, the biggest concern was that two-thirds of Canadians right now have access to first-class dental care. And if this plan is unrolled improperly, you know, it could cost taxpayers billions of dollars more because there's only $13 billion been allotted over five years. And that's only for a small group of people that don't have access to care. Remember, the, the, concern, the concern that the federal government has is that they want to provide access to dental care for all Canadians. And the Canadians that are, don't have access to care don't have any private dental insurance and they can't afford it. So it's for a small group of people. And if we don't watch out, this could balloon out of control. Um, so right now, I think the, the initial rollout in the next year or so would be for, what, 87 and older and 12 and under? Is that what I heard? I Was that what you heard? I, I think for the rollout this year, it's going to be for um, seniors over the age of 65 and children, oh, the first under, the one? Okay. Of, and children under the age, age of 18 and people with disabilities. They're doing a, a rollout with different age groups. I think they're starting with 87 and over, and then every so often they lower the age limit to uh, help enrollment. I see. I see. And, and, and people would have to apply for this. This doesn't uh, come automatically if you're 65 or what have you. Exactly. And so that's some of the concerns. We don't have the details of how the application is going to uh, happen. And we don't also know how uh, how much it's going to cost patients. Are they going to be covered the full uh, fee guide for each provincial or territorial dental association? Um, that's really uh, I'm I'm shocked by this. I, I don't I don't know why you wouldn't have been there the whole time when I'm saying you d- dentists as an association. You can imagine how we feel. I mean, shock is an understatement. But the good news is that the federal government did start to sit down with us. 
But again, we have all the concerns that we uh, have had from day one. And, you know, how are we going to make sure that Canadians have a program that take care of Canadians that are in need and, and we're being respectful to taxpayers? Uh, do you see a, a point where people who may be paying for insurance drop off their insurance because they can get a free one through the government? And that's the concern, because if that happens, there's a potential that we'd have a two-tier health system. And is that what Canadians want? Right now, we have a phenomenal dental care system. Uh, there's people that aren't uh, don't have access to care, and that's what the federal government has been out trying to do, is to make sure that they're taken care of. But then again, we have to worry about that third-party dental insurance. But we also have to give patients the ability to choose their own dentist. On, in Ontario here, we had um, a seniors' dental care program that was rolled out by the provincial government and it was a complete failure you know millions and millions of dollars were put into dental clinics but treatment wasn't being provided some people had to travel up to two hours and in some areas people had a two-year wait list to get on the program this is not what we want it's not what ontario taxpayers want it's not what canadian taxpayers want well i mean it was the ndp that spurred the federal government to put out a, a plan i'm sure that's not their idea of a plan either come to think of it that's the concern we have is like, what is the best plan? And, you know, the ODA, we've been lucky, you know, we've been around since Confederation and we have a whole series of plans that work. You know, they're financially responsible, but they're also data proven too. And they take care of the basic needs of people so they can function. Well, um, some some uh, eye openers here on this for sure. I thank you for your time, Dr. Nicolucci. I appreciate it. Thank you for making the time and I appreciate it. And have a great day. Dr. Brock Nicolucci is president of the Ontario Dental Association. And um, as I said earlier, we had some problems connecting with him. So now we're limited on time, but we certainly got the gist of some of the big concerns about this federal dental plan being uh, rolled out. This is City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik in for Mike Farwell today. We'll be back in a moment. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Mike will return tomorrow. In the meantime, lots to talk about on this morning's show. Next hour, I hope you can stick around as well. Next hour, we're going to be talking about offload times for ambulances. You know what offload is. I guess it's obvious, right? That's the time when they offload you from the ambulance in the care of the hospital, the emergency ward, whatever. And offload times have increased. So let's say ideal situation, well, not ideal, but you need an ambulance. Ideally, you get right through and there's an ambulance available and it's at your door in minutes and they get you in and then and then the siren's going and they get you to the hospital in minutes and it's, oh, this is working well. And then they're at the hospital sitting there for half an hour, an hour longer where, where you're sitting in an ambulance. And not only that, that means then that that ambulance is out of service because they're sitting waiting at the hospital. Offload times are worse than ever in Ontario. I'm going to speak to a vice president at QP uh, about that issue coming up at 11 o'clock. At 11.30 this morning, the flip side, that's when we flip it over to you. We ask you a question and get your responses, and it's usually kind of a... You know, a fun or interesting question. And, and, uh, today it's a question that grew out of, uh, Tuesday's Mike Farwell show. And the question today will be, start thinking about it. Have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a pay it forward gesture? Um, I, I got, I got one myself that was kind of cool. It's, it's almost, well, it was a pay it forward, but I'll, I'll talk about that. 
and get your responses as well at 1130. Right now on the program, uh, good idea. You may have heard about this at the Guelph Food Bank. They've opened up a thrift store uh, to help fund the Guelph Food Bank. Oh, yeah. I like this. The uh, managing director of the Guelph Food Bank is Carolyn McLeod McCarthy, who joins us now. Hello, Carolyn. Hello. How are you, Larry? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. I understand this was your brainchild. Open up a store next door. Well, um, it actually was uh, kind of a group effort, and it was born out of the need to reopen our exchange program that we used to run here at the food bank for many years. So the natural progression was to take a look at all our non-food donations and see how we can more efficiently um, get it out to the public and um, procure funds to help fund our food programs. Okay, so... uh how do you just open up a store? I guess you're saying you, you did have a space and it was an exchange program and it was right there next door so that you had some space and you started there. Well, actually, we um, we we took the exchange space and we opened up more space for our warehouse breakdown um, of product that we get in so we can get more out to the community. So, you know, large bags, 20 kilos of, you know, flour or sugar, we actually break that down. Um, the University of Guelph Cafeteria, the students don't eat it, they freeze it, and we we uh, pick that up and we are able to break that down into smaller portions that we can get out um, to our neighbours in need. So what did we have to do? Well, we had to find another space in our building, and um, we got a great grant from Feed Ontario to help us renovate the space and uh, turn it into something that you'd be proud to walk in um, and shop in. Now... When you get these kind of, I mean, items in a thrift store are usually donated items, correct? Correct. Yeah. So if you have donated items that might be good for someone in need, why not just give them to the people? Why put them in a thrift store? You know what I mean? The the difference in in that. Yeah. Well, actually, we will be opening up our um, uh, type of voucher program. So those people who need it, who have no means to purchase, will be able to come back we're going to revisit that and, and add that in in the new year. Um, but we wanted to open it up to the public, one, because we get so many donations. We were closed for over three years due to COVID, and the donations kept coming in. So you can imagine how much um, that can add up. So this was a way, instead of running, um, they ran garage sales and auctions that were open to the public in order to, you know, raise some funds for our food programs. So because that was so time-consuming and not as efficient as a year-round endeavor, um, Mm -hmm. what we did is we took our model. I mean, there's lots of other models out there of thrift stores that that support their social programs. So we took – this is new to us. We were very excited to be able to um, get the grant in order to do this. So this – not only supports our neighbors in need who don't have the means, this also becomes a place for people to come and get inexpensive new and used clothing. Um, and nothing is over $10 in our store. And currently everything in the store is brand new. So wow. that means you can come and get brand, a brand new coat, a brand new pair of boots um, and nothing's over $10. So 
that's what we're doing right now, and that's going to help fundraise um, for our food program. So the general public can help us with that, and then it also supports our voucher program um, when we get that back in line in the new year. Wow, great, great uh, idea. And well, and thrifting, as I'm sure you know, is, is a whole thing for people. Yes, I'm, a, I'm an avid thrifter. I've been thrifting my entire life. Uh, my mother was an avid thrifter, um, so she taught me well. Um, and it's just a great way to reduce, reuse, and recycle. Um, I'm a big com- um, believer in that as well. So, um, and we get a lot of great donations. We're not currently taking used clothes donations right now, um, but uh, if you follow us on our Facebook page at Guelph Food Bank, um, the announcements will be there for when we will start taking donations again. All right. So what kind of things are you taking? Is it just about anything? Just, well, current, we do get quite a bit of clothing, um, but right. um Sometimes, so think about all the lovely Christmas gifts you're going to get that you might not want, but, (laughs) you know, re-gift them or donate them to the food bank. Um, There's lots of great partnerships here in Guelph, too. I mean, Guelph is a very generous city. We uh, love um, the support in our community. And um, there are, you know, if, if you have a business that has a Christmas party and, you buy toys and there are Santa comes and um, some of those families don't pick up those toys. And at the end of January, for those that don't get picked up, they get donated to the Guelph Food Bank. And then we can get those out to families in need. And also those will be the kinds of things we'll be adding to the store. So um, we prefer new, but we're not opposed to taking used if it's in good shape. Right, right. I, by the way, I'm like you my entire life. I cannot pass a thrift store without going in yeah. i have to i have yeah, to at least I go in and do a few laps yeah, yeah. <laughs> i it's, know after it's, COVID, it's like oh the, the bug is back <laughs> yeah 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 um what are the sorry go ahead oh no you go ahead uh what is the, what are the hours of the store so good question we are open tuesdays and thursdays from two until six p.m so we have a four-hour window in the afternoons on tuesdays and thursdays and we are open saturday 10 till six all right so still plenty of time for people to get christmas shopping done and get their items absolutely you want to get some brand new coats snow pants boots um outfits it's all there ready ready to pull off the hanger and you said nothing over ten dollars. Wow, that's incredible. Nothing is over ten dollars. Nothing. And, so it's a and great again, place to shop for Christmas. Yeah, this is this anybody with ten dollars. There's no, uh, you, you know, whatever. It's just uh, just get it done. And, and we, we we talk about food banks. We talk about not only the uh, uh, the need increasing, but donations being down because of inflation and our economic times is that the experience as well at, at the Guelph food bank yeah we're it is not unique to our area um it is a growing concern um it's you know frankly it's unsustainable really we have grown 120 percent in the last two years so that's quite, that's quite a bit of growth and so and then everybody's feeling the pinch of the economic situation right now so with inflation going up uh, you know, it's it's penny pinching for everyone. So with our numbers going up for people in need versus 
donations going down because everyone's feeling the pinch. We're on the wrong side of the scale. Um, so, yeah, we need um, help more than ever. And that's just that's not unique to us. That's that's everybody. Um, so any and every little bit helps. I mean, a one dollar can purchase two meals. So we have the ability to um, get bulk items. Um, we're on other programs that are funded and um, helped by you know, um, Feed Ontario and Canada, um, Food Banks Canada. So there's lots of other programs out there, but we're all fighting for the <laughs> for the same mm-hmm. um, donations because the growth is so is so high. Um, so, yeah, anything anybody can do, we're we're happy to uh, take donations, even as little as a dollar. Uh, Guelph Food Bank, you can find uh, the Guelph Food Bank on Facebook. And where do they find the Guelph Food Bank and the thrift store right there on the street? Where are you? So we, um, the Guelph Food Bank runs, um, we have um, other charities in the building as well that rent here. So um, we have tenants that run other um, businesses and charities in the building. And we have Noah's Ark Daycare across the street, which we also run. So right across the street from Noah's Ark Daycare is the food bank. And if you take a look at the door to the right of the food bank entry, you will find the store. All right. So that's Again, 100 Tuesday- Crimea Street. Yeah, 100 Crimea Street in Guelph. And Tuesdays, Thursdays, you said 2 to 6? Yes, 2 to 6, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and Saturdays 10 till 6. All right. What a, what a great idea. Hope it just keeps doing well. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it, Carolyn. Well, thank you for the opportunity to promote our new endeavor. You bet, Carolyn. McLeod McCarthy is uh, the managing director of the Guelph Food Bank, who opened up a thrift store as a fundraiser for uh, their uh, their efforts. And it's uh, it's going well. It is a great idea. Uh, and I mean, they still have it. So if you donate, you know, a snowsuit and some boots and hats and coats and things, they still have an exchange program where people in need can just get those. But then um, they also have the surplus where, as she said, especially during the pandemic, where the, the, the supplies of these kind of items, clothes, clothing items, built up to the point where we, we should be selling these, right? So just a great idea. Do some Another place to do some thrifting at the thrift store next to the Guelph Food Bank. Check them out on Facebook. More in a moment here on City News 570. We're on other programs that are funded and um, helped by Feed Ontario and Food Banks Canada. So there's lots of other programs out there, but we're all fighting for the <laughs> for the same donations because the growth is so high. So, yeah, anything anybody can do, we're, we're happy to uh, take donations, even as little as a dollar. Dollar goes a long way at the Guelph Food Bank. That is the managing director of the Guelph Food Bank. Our guest moments ago, Carolyn McLeod McCarthy. I'm Larry Fedorikin for Mike Farwell today. We're talking to the Guelph Food Bank because they just opened up a thrift store next door uh, and uh, next door to their food bank. And uh, they're open Tuesdays from 2 to 6, Thursdays from 2 to 6, and Saturdays, I forgot the Saturday time, it's like midday for a few hours Saturday. Anyway, check them out on Facebook and uh, shop at the thrift store. I love, I love thrifting. It's like before it was called thrifting. Now it's kind of got a name and people go thrifting. Where do they just go to thrift stores? I guess that's what I've been doing for most of my life. I cannot pass a thrift store. I wasn't kidding when I said this to Carolyn. 
uh, or a garage sale for that matter, or a flea market without stopping in. And when you get into spring and summer, uh, early part of summer, that's when a lot of garage sales begin because people are literally doing the spring cleaning and, and the purging and stuff like that. And I just, um, Love that stuff. I have a, a collection of uh, old cameras, old still cameras, actually a few old movie cameras as well. I'd say it's about 40, 50 cameras I've collected over many, many years. It started because of because of garage sales and flea markets. So I'm going to be selling this really cool old camera, uh, you know, a dollar. I'm like, oh, I'll give you 50 cents, or 75. Okay. You know, you're negotiating for a dollar. And, and, uh, I, I realize we're getting away from the charity aspect of this for a second, but, but yeah, um, uh, these things grow out of visiting flea markets. People see my camera collection, they go, wow, that's nice. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. That whole thing is probably worth, uh, $32 <laughs> when you put all the cameras together. It's got a greater value to me, of course, but I mean, just monetary wise, but it's, um, it's, yeah. And you find such great stuff at thrift stores. If you can go to the thrift store, the Guelph one the, next to the food bank, uh, you're helping the food bank as well with every purchase and nothing over $10, nothing over $10. And, and like she said, a lot of the clothes that they've been getting, the snowsuits, the boots, the coats, the stuff uh, are like $10. So my gosh, that is terrific. And if people are in need and don't have $10, of course, they will get the boots and the hats and the coats. This is a separate idea. It's a fundraising idea. Uh, Andre is uh, calling. Hello, Andre. Go ahead. Hi, Larry. Thank hey. you for uh, stop talking there. <laughs> because I'm going to be straightforward. The more you guys talk, and the more I want to say. So I think in a short term, Larry, I think we should go for uh, a glass of wine one day so we can talk. <laughs> uh, just, all right. I love your shows. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, so what I want to say about this, uh, keep me in track here. Um, but when I was in Montreal and I seen it, uh, people, the garage sale, like you said, works, yes. But uh, for thrift store, it's the church, and there is the big church. I don't remember the name, but uh, Notre Dame, I guess. And they do a big thrift store thing, and it's it's hard for a lot of people to go. Uh, what I found in Kitchener Waterloo and now Guelph is uh, thrift stores are amazing. Um, donation are amazing, and that's why it's very important for you to say that it's Guelph City and not Guelph Street, because Guelph Street has the food bank, right? Um, the reason I'm calling is that I find this fantastic because uh, it's also, you said that it's food bank slash uh, close, right? Mm-hmm. Larry? Yeah. Okay, so, and that's that's awesome because it's one beside each other, and it attracts the same people so they can also talk and about other discount or other help, you know, because you get more together. So, again, you know, it's convenient, like I said earlier mm-hmm. with alcohol, but it's right. convenient, and uh, I find it fantastic. I want to say I, I don't go no more, but I do give a lot when I can. Because in 2009, when I had my house fire and I lost everything, I've been there, especially from bottom with the Red Cross to food banks and stuff like that, and uh, closing 
And it's just wonderful that we have that in our community. And I think that's why I wish that, and I hope no matter what, because you never know tomorrow, that I I get away from this community Mm -hmm. because this community is amazing. And I just want to say to everybody, just please give a little bit more this year because uh, you feel good about it. And also, there's a lot of people in need. Thank you. All right, Andre, thank you for the call. Thank you always. Yeah, and uh, we'll figure out a glass of wine time, I guess, or what have you. Uh, but thanks for the invite on that. Um, when, when my brother and I were trying to talk my mom into purging a lot of her stuff, when uh, and we were trying to help her out on that, uh, it inspired me to do the same because I had noticed, you know, that I picked up a lot of her habits of, of a borderline hoarding. Now, no, I'm not, I'm not a hoarder and I don't want to make fun of people who have that problem, but, but a collector, a collector, you see, and I got to get rid of some stuff. And I started, uh, loading the trunk of my car and I did a few of these trips to the thrift store where I made the donation of stuff. And what they do at this thrift store that I go to is when you're done donating, they hand you a coupon for like 10% off your next purchase at the thrift store. So I'm like, this cycle is just going to continue if you keep handing me these coupons. Because when I back the car up and donate the stuff into the thrift store, then I then I park the car and I'm walking into the thrift store looking for more stuff. It's just this never-ending cycle. And oh my gosh. And I love, like I said, love the stuff. Love the stuff you... You find in uh, thrift stores. And then as as I'm unloading stuff at the thrift store, I'm thinking, you know, I think some of this stuff uh, made the circle, you know, as an item. I think I bought this at the thrift store. I think I had it on my shelf and enjoyed it and then decided that I was going to maybe put it in storage for a while. And then that, and then I never looked at it for two years. So now it's going back to the thrift store and, and this item is uh, making its little, uh, it's, it's still in the retail chain, you know. But, and generally thrift stores, uh, I, you know, I don't know about, well, flea markets are generally uh, money makers. Um, garage sales are money makers for people, you know, there's rather, and again, the point of, of reusing and recycling rather than just landfilling all your items. Maybe, as they say, one person's junk another person's treasure, right? So so you put it out there on the table in the driveway or you do it, whatever, and and you raise some funds for yourself or what have you. And uh, the thrift stores, though, generally are fundraisers. I've, I'm pretty sure place to place to place across the country, thrift stores generally are in support of some charitable endeavor, right? They, they generally are. So thrifting is just not something you can do to save yourself some money. But it's something you can do to help out a particular uh, particular cause. Uh, again, back to why we are talking about this. Uh, we talked moments ago to Carolyn McLeod McCarthy and her group. She's managing director of the Guelph Food Bank. And her group kind of came up with this idea of a thrift store at their location on Crimea to uh, kind of next to it. You know, they don't they didn't lose space in their food bank or their exchange program. They just found some extra space, renovated it. And now they have a thrift store where you can uh, shop and all that money goes towards uh, Guelph Food Bank. Uh, and, and again, as you heard in the clip a few minutes ago that we were talking, 
that that has been the the cry from food banks and these kinds of organizations across the country as we've been through these inflationary times and pandemic times as well where uh donations went down then inflation the need went up so now andre's message there give a little more if you can this year certainly but a lot of people sadly are faced with having to give a little less and uh, as a result of that little vicious circle of the need is greater because uh, people have less and they need more, so they give less. Can others, you know, that and that that is just continuing for a while. So we need more ideas like that, like thrift stores and other uh, other fundraisers. In the meantime, as you always say, you know, you give what you can. You give what you can. Uh, coming up in our next hour, a couple of things. We're going to talk about offload times for ambulances in Ontario. That's the time they spend waiting at the hospital to offload the patient so that they can get out there and be in service for the next call that might come to the ambulance. And we're going to speak to the Canadian Union of Public Employees about those offload times. And then our flip side question today, have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a gesture of pay it forward? That's on our flip side at 1130. All that next hour here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Mike will be back tomorrow. One of my favorite things of filling in on a Thursday on this program, and I've done a few Thursdays filling in here over the last couple of years, is is the flip side. The flip side comes your way Thursdays at 1130, where we flip it over to you. We ask you a question. Uh, fun question, whimsy, um, topical, could be just about anything. Uh, usually we try and make it a little lighter, a little more fun. Uh, something interesting like that. And uh, the question that Mike came up with actually suggested to me, he said, do you like this question for Thursday or you want to come up with one of your own? And I'm like, what's your question? And he told me, and I'm like, oh, no, that's a great topic. And it came up Tuesday on the program on the Mike Farwell show and the, the idea of paying it forward. And as they talked about it, uh, Dominic said to Mike, oh, you, you should you should have this as a flip side question. And Mike was like, well, I'm off Thursday, but I'll tell Larry and so on and so forth. And I was like, yeah, I love this question. The question is, have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a pay it forward gesture? So I'm, I'm hoping there's some good stories there. Uh, I've, I've got both. Uh, I'll share my quick story coming up after 1130. And hopefully you can share yours on the flip side. That is uh, coming up in our noon hour today. A couple of discussions. We're going to talk about new uh, housing, uh, like 12 towers of housing in Waterloo. That's been approved. And also a Cambridge brewery that just signed a deal on Dragon's Den. And it's a beer, it's a craft brewery, and it's a beer that's um, for the golf course. Whatever that means, we'll find out when we talk to them in our noon hour. I was talking about this last hour, and it's the offload times for ambulances in Ontario uh, those times are worse than even before the pandemic. This is not good. We've heard a lot of issues with a- a- ambulance availability uh, and, of course, wait times at emergency rooms and hospitals. This all ties in together. But the offload times are are uh, the worst. Joining us to talk about this, Vice President of the Canadian Union of Public Employees, Local 5191, Dave Bryant, is joining us. Hello, Dave. Hi, Larry. Tell us what an offload is. It seems obvious, I guess, to most people, but that that's the time when the ambulance arrives at emergency or at the hospital, right? 
Correct. So once an ambulance arrives at the hospital, uh, we go through a triage process through the charge nurse in the emergency department. Uh, just after triage, it's determined the level of, of acuity of the patient and whether or not they receive a bed right away or if they are sent to the waiting room or if they are on offload delay with the ambulances. Uh, quite often, the offload delay is the go-to option. Okay. Uh, I, and I'm Hopefully, most people have not, but I think a lot of people have been to emergency. They've probably seen this process there where often uh, paramedics are, are staying with a, uh, a patient for some time in some cases. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the more anger that we hear from family members of our patients on extended offload delay is um, one thing that we know that the public are aware of. <laughs> Um, people are reluctant to go to the hospital even when they call an ambulance because they're aware of the offload problems. However, unfortunately, due to the state of our entire health care, that is their only option. And and it really does, one affects the other. Um, So tell me what the offload times are. Is there an average or uh, that that you've managed to come up with? I can only really speculate based on my personal firsthand experience. Uh, I've seen some numbers. I question the source um, and the reliability of those numbers. Um, I know offloads can go up to 10 hours at some points. Obviously, that's kind of a worst-case scenario. Um, But I would say, in my personal experience, the average offload is lasting about two to four hours. Two to four? I I didn't realize it was even that long. Uh, I I read somewhere that they said an optimum time is 30 minutes. Is that I, I would think five minutes, but thir- is 30 minutes about what it should take? So I, my understanding of the 30-minute timeline is from the time that the ambulance arrives at the hospital and goes through the triage process, which obviously takes a little bit of time in itself. Um, so that would be the time the ambulance actually arrives at the hospital and a patient in a bed. That would be the optimum time is, is 30 minutes. So stating the obvious here, if you're spending two to four hours or, or longer in some cases, you're out of service. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's why we hear these, what are they called? Are they called cold blacks? Is that what it is where it's like no ambulance available? Uh, some regions use code blacks. Uh, we use code yellow and code red. So code yellow is four or less ambulances available in the region, uh, which seems to be the our new normal. Um, but code red is when we have zero ambulances available in the region. As you use code red. Wow. And how often have you had to do code reds? Again, I don't have that hard data. I, I only have like rough data, which is provided to me um, when we try to put out our alerts to make the public aware of code reds. Um, one code red is too much, though, Larry. I think that's the safe answer, to be completely honest with yeah. you. No, I, I I hear you. It's just it's just it's 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 not just once. Where not, uh, Yeah. And the, the issue is I'm. Um, you know, our council has done what they can. They have listened to our concerns. They have done what they can to address these issues. But it's a systemic problem that goes all the way up to the province. And really, really they're the ones who need to listen. What is a nurse offload? Is that different from a regular offload? So that is additional funding that is provided um, to the hospital when they can staff an extra nurse in the emergency department to take over our, uh, sorry, the paramedics offload patients. So I believe they can have up to four patients. 
Um, but, you know, that's great. However, there's not always that nurse body available to provide that offload relief for the paramedics. Right. So, so a nurse offload was a way to help alleviate offload times, but there's not enough nurses. So we're back to that again. Correct. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, oh, there's, boy. there's definitely a common theme here with shortage of nurses, paramedics, doctors, everything. Absolutely everything. Yeah. So th- this is not just Uriah w- walking into an emergency room because we have to wait there, but they're, they're dealing with all of us and more. And then an ambulance comes in and, and, and you're not just going to leave them there. You you can't, right? Correct. Yeah, not until the uh, hospital, you know, assumes care for that patient. Yeah. Um. Wow. This is just this is just stunning to me. I mean, I'd heard about this, but it's just it. it you're right. It all ties together because if the staff's not there and the wait times are longer and they're dealing with more and um, then what what happens with with the ambulances? Yeah, it's, it's, it's alarming. And I mean, this is not just a local problem, right? This is not specific to our three hospitals. This is not specific to the region of Waterloo. Obviously, I'm here as an advocate for our region and our paramedics. But like I said, it is an entire Ontario healthcare problem. You're talking about a population of what, roughly 15 million people as of 2019, which I'm sure that's dramatically increased. And we only have about 10,000 paramedics in the province, and about 1,000 of those are off on WSIB right now. These are very rough numbers. But that's just painting the picture. Now, you look at nurses and the lack of infrastructure with the recent population growth, and the numbers don't line up. It's just been too little for too long, and we're really, really starting to feel it at the sacrifice of our frontline health care workers. Well, and you go to, like, let's say, and this is one thing I just learned, like a big center like Toronto, when they get overwhelmed, then they rely on Peel, and then Peel might have to rely on Halton, and then Hall. So it really just... It's not that Waterloo doesn't have its own issues, but then it can be uh, exacerbated by issues in other regions, right? Everybody affects everybody. Correct. So in Waterloo, I mean, when we're in Code Red, we rely on Wealth Wellington Paramedic Services. We rely on uh, Perth County, you know, whoever's close, Brant County, and, you know, vice versa as well. If Wealth Wellington's in Code Red, then they rely on us in Waterloo Region to service their calls. It's, it, it's not a good solution because you're looking at very high priority calls in some cases in a neighboring region and the close, let's say there's a, you know, a VSA or a vital signs absence. This is the worst case scenario in the South end of Guelph. And your closest ambulance is coming from say downtown Kitchener. That is extremely alarming. Your hope is that an ambulance locally will be able to clear up and attend to that call. Again, that's a worst case scenario. Okay. And I'm not saying that has happened, but the potential is there and it's all a result of too little for too long. Well, the ambulance has to sometimes, I mean, it's not a bizarre scenario to think that an ambulance has to come from further away, has to go further to reach an emergency room that's not closed. That is correct you know. as well, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you're here advocating for this, but I mean, what else is going on? I mean, uh, is, is it, what else is going on to kind of shake this up a bit and let the let people know that this is, we got to work on this now? I mean, all we can do is, as a union is make noise. And like I said, I have to give kudos to um, our management and the region for, you know, listening to our pleas for help and addressing what they can or what their capacity is, allows them to do. But 
the hospital issues, the hospital staffing issues that do affect us directly as paramedics locally, um, that needs to be addressed. That's why I keep stressing it's been too little for too long. And these little Band-Aid solutions that, you know, come out um, trying to be creative and innovative, it's wonderful outside the box thinking, but it's not a realistic solution. The realistic solution is infrastructure and staff. And I'm not just talking doctors and nurses. I'm talking housekeepers, blood technicians, imaging technicians, everything. Quicker diagnosis. We need more family GPs because people are going to the emergency room for coughs and colds, right? Because they don't mm-hmm. have access to a GP. Yep. That other factor. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for raising that. Uh, Dave, thanks for your time today. Um I, I just feel like I would love to have something to offer to say this is happening next, but it's not. So I, I'm glad you were here to at least get people thinking about this. Thank you, Dave. Yep, thank you. All right, Dave Bryant is a vice president with QP5191, and we're talking about the offload times of ambulances. But you get, I mean, it doesn't take much to connect the dots. Uh, I was going to tell Dave, and then I thought probably not that, smart to say, hey, Dave, if you want to get a hold of the premier, I know where he is right now. He's uh, selling beer in Etobicoke right now uh, at a corner store. So, uh, you know, because that's that's the priority there. Um, and, and this is, I know it's perhaps unfair to tie two issues together. You know, you're supposed to be able to, as a functioning government, juggle a lot of balls in the air. You know, you you change the liquor law system and then you do this and but but it seems like we're we're doing some showboat things here up at Queens Park in order to um take attention away from where it really needs to be which is the healthcare system because uh, I mean Doug just uh, excuse me Doug, Doug Ford is selling beer Dave Dave just really painted the picture of people going emergency rooms are busy. Why? Because people have emergencies, but some don't, some just don't have a family doctor or whatever. So they're going for, you know, GI issues or a cold or a sniffle or whatever, because we're all freaking out because this is a cold now, but what if it's RSV and I can't breathe and, and I better go in. And, and so they're, they're overloaded there because of that. And so then they don't have enough staff and, the staff they have is so overworked that they're they're leaving the industry eventually because they just can't take it. Uh, gee, I wanted to ask Dave about this too, but uh, I've got into other stuff. Is, imagine a, a, um, a paramedic. You weren't trained to sit at a hospital for two, three, four, Dave said up to 10 hours. Can you imagine an offload that's 10 hours? That's, that's your shift. That's your day. What did you do? Like, you know, oh, oh, and I'm applauding paramedics. They save lives. I'm just saying it's like that's what they did. They they went and got the patient. They stabilized them, whatever, got them in the ambulance, got them to the hospital, and then they have to kind of sit there with them for 10 hours. Instead, what what the, that triage process is, they get you in and you get ideally right away to a nurse or or somebody who's there who's able to assess the patient say, okay, you're okay for a while. We'll get you a room. Sit here in ambulance. Okay, thank you. You're on your way. No ambulance sits there for hours and hours and hours because of all these gaps, uh, staff staffing gaps and funding gaps in our health system. Um, get your thoughts on this and more on this topic in a moment. This is City News 570. 
We only have about 10,000 paramedics in the province, and about 1,000 of those are off on WSIB right now. These are very rough numbers, but that's just painting the picture. Now, you look at nurses and the lack of infrastructure with the recent population growth, and the numbers don't line up. It's just been too little for too long, and we're really, really starting to feel it at the sacrifice of our frontline health care outlining the problem with uh, paramedics, ambulances, and offload times here in the province of Ontario. Davis VP with QP 5191, local 5191. And um, our guest moments ago, I'm Larry Fedorik sitting in for Mike Farwell today. And just the the domino uh, effect of uh, the gaps in the healthcare system of emergency rooms filling up because people don't have family doctors. And then because of that and other reasons emergency rooms are filling up and they they can't deal with everybody and there's wait times meanwhile an ambulance comes in and that transfer which is the offload now takes that much longer because nobody's available to accept that ambulance patient and and properly you know triage and and uh basically analyze their needs quickly to get the ambulance back out on the road where it needs to be and offload times that are they, they did say the ideal is 30 minutes. So uh, th- that sounds about right. Where you pull in, the patient comes out, nurse meets you. They introduced these nurse offloads, but then they didn't hire enough nurses to do that. So back at longer offload times. And it's, it's just a, incredible and frustrating, frustrating to talk about all the gaps in the health system. And that's one of the byproducts here is once, like I said earlier, if you need an ambulance and ideally one is around and manages to get to you in minutes and gets you to a hospital in minutes, like, wow, it should that happen, then you're sitting there offloading for an hour, two, three, four, up to 10, as Dave said. It's incredible. Here's Royce. Royce, go ahead. You're on City News 570. Yes, good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'd just like to give thanks to all the paramedics, Dave included, and all the healthcare workers involved because they have been stretched so far, like he said, so far, so mm-hmm. thin. And it's just, unless you really have to take somebody in through that healthcare system, you don't really know how bad it is right now. Um, when you go in there, though, you get the finest of care. You have to give credit to the nurses and everyone in the healthcare industry. So that's just my comment. And All right. Big thank you to everyone involved in the frontline work. Yeah. Th- thank you, Royce, for the call. And that's uh, important to mention. I had a family member with some health issues. And, and um, once you're in, uh, these are incredible doctors and nurses and technicians and what have you, just incredible uh, people. Um my experience too from getting tests or anything done once once you're in uh people are the people know what they're doing they're they're nice they help you get through this this little traumatic event of this testing that you're going through or what have you and then sometimes more serious people need doctors and nurses and those are great there's not enough of them obviously and and this is not something where um hey let's let's have a hiring blitz at the mall and you know, these are people that need to be trained and uh, incentivized to get into the system and all of this kind of thing. And it's just, it's just not been happening. Uh, and I'll say one more time, though, if you want to know where the premier is on this, he's in Etobicoke selling beer out of a convenience store right now because that's the priority there. 
And um, uh, as I also said, I, it's not one or the other, but uh, fine, change the liquor laws. But can you, can you give us some news on the health system? Before before Christmas, like these are the these are the efforts being made. Um, it's uh, it's incredible, and the the, the stress. Uh, like Dave Bryant was our guest; he's a VP with CUPE, uh, local CUPE, and and he um said, what was it? Out of out of fifteen thousand paramedics, about a thousand are on WISIB. Um, so. I wonder if any of that, I don't know, I should have asked him, I've only thought of this question now, but is it, you know, how much is, is just mental fatigue and, and stress? Cause that, that's throughout the health system because the staff are overworked. Um, just it, it must be incredibly taxing mentally and physically to be going through that. And I don't know how it feel as, as, as a paramedic, it's not just likely something to do i got a feeling that if you're going to train to be a paramedic there's a bit of a calling there as well for you it's it right more it's not just another job and you get to that job and you're not really doing the job you're uh you're a a taxi and you're you're sitting waiting for the uh for the next fare (laughs) with the meter running so to speak maybe that's not a good analogy but but sarah you're offloading somebody for and there's been times up to 10 hours that an offload takes. That's a, that's a, that's a paramedic's entire shift. And, and he or she's got to be like, this is not what I signed up for just sitting here, you know, uh, we'll get some, some perhaps happier thoughts, happier, uh, topic in a segment here in the next segment. It's called the flip side. And our flip side question today is, have you ever paid it forward? or been the recipient of a pay-it-forward gesture. Looking forward to your stories when we come back in a couple of minutes. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Yes, this is where we ask you the question, the flip side question, sometimes one of whimsy, sometimes fun, sometimes topical, usually a lighter question, kind of a good news question today. And I'll, I'll say again, this was a topic discussed Tuesday on the Mike Farwell Show, Paying It Forward. And as they talked about it, Dominic called and said, you know, you should have this as a flip side question. So when I was to fill in, Mike said, hey, we have this idea for a flip side question. What do you think? I said, I love it. I love it. And the question is, have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a pay it forward gesture? And just before we get to Kyle here, I do have um, a quick, I'll try to make a quick story. A pay it forward. This is only a couple of years ago. I was visiting a friend at Queens Park. We had a quick coffee. And then I'm on a subway going back. And the subway is midday. It's kind of empty. And I get on and I got my choice of seat. So I sit traveling sideways, you know, on a side seat of the transit. And I see on a forward seat there, I see a piece of paper. And I'm looking at this paper. And I'm like, that looks like, you know what that looks like? It looks like a $10 bill. And as as I'm thinking this in split seconds, a woman sweeps in, picks up the piece of paper, and sits on that seat, looks at the piece of paper. So I'm thinking, well, I guess she found $10. I guess I didn't. No big deal. And she looks at me, and she goes, what is this? And I go, I, I think it's a $10 bill. Now, it was one of the new $10 bills, the the ones that were done vertically with Viola Desmond on it. And she goes, this is not a $10 bill. And I go, yeah, it's it's the new ones. That's Viola Desmond. And the woman who had picked up the bill was a, a black woman, 
uh, well-appointed with a briefcase, looked like a businesswoman, you know. And she said, uh, so I, I'm older white guy. I explained to her who Viola Desmond is, this black activist who is kind of like a Canadian Rosa Parks who sat in the white section of a, of a movie theater in the East Coast years ago and was told to move and didn't and so on and so forth. And, and she's honored, um, uh, as an activist now by her face on the $10 bill and they did it vertically. And if I'm telling her the story, so she's impressed that I would even know this. And I'm like, I'm impressed that I'm, that I even know this. And, and she goes, well, this $10 bill, like, what, what do I do with it? So, well, I don't know, you know, it's $10. She goes, yeah, but what, it must belong to somebody. Is it her lost and found? I, I guess there is, but uh, like, man, money at a lost and found, like, I don't know. She goes, well, do you think it's somebody here? And I'm like, well, who's going to say no to a $10 bill? Plus, the car just emptied. I don't think it belongs to anybody here. I don't think so. She goes, well, this is no good. What if, what if this is somebody's meal money? Like, And I'm like, ma'am, you're not going to find the um, the owner of this $10 bill. It's yours. Why, why don't you pay it forward? She goes, what do you mean? I, she'd never heard of pay it forward. I said, well, you know, it's the opposite of paying it back. You can't pay it back because you don't know whose it is. Pay it forward. Go go to a person on the street who's got a a cup out front. Put it put it in their little cup. Donate it to the food bank. Donate it to its, like give it to somebody. And she was like, yeah, yeah. She'd never heard of pay it forward. And this was like looked like a smart businesswoman who'd never heard of pay it forward. So she did that. She was so thrilled, and I was so thrilled that I was able to pay forward, paying it forward. Um. Just I'm an experience that still sticks in my mind, especially when paying it forward comes up. So that's our question today. Have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a gesture of paying it forward? Kyle. Hey, Kyle, go ahead. Hello. Okay. So obviously I've been in the many times where like I've been in Tim Hortons, you know, I, I give, you know, I say I'm going to buy the coffee behind me or the person in front of me says they're going to get my coffee or whatever. So yeah, it, it happens a few times. Um, but the two biggest ones for me was the first time uh, was actually in March when we were in Alberta, my girlfriend and I. And there was a couple of, I'm going to say they're probably like, you know, seven or eight-year-old kids, uh, three of them. The debit card wasn't working for the one for the one kid. And I think the mom gave the debit card or whatever for them to get an ice cream. And it wasn't working. And it wasn't working. So finally, I just said, you know what? I got it for you guys. Don't worry. So I tapped my debit card, bought them a, a Dairy Queen ice cream, whatever they wanted. And then the second time was I was actually at a car wash and you could tell it was an elderly guy and he was getting frustrated and you could tell his debit card wasn't working and stuff. So instead of being, you know, a typical person that gets mad, honks the horn, you know, time is more important than helping somebody. I just got out of the car. I tried to help the guy. I said, here, give me your debit card. Let me see if I could get it working. And it never did. So I just, you know what? I got it for you. So I just said, here, here's a car wash on me, man tap my debit card and then for some reason i don't know how he found me uh, living in a small town listowel i guess but he got a hold of me found my number and he uh he's like hey i, I have your money I, I put it in your mailbox and stuff so i'm mm. happy about i said to him i you know he didn't really have to do that like for a car wash but yeah so those wow. are the two times there, larry thanks man. yeah great kyle thank you thank you and thank you for sitting and waiting during my story uh because i've done the tim hortons thing too um and th- there's a there's a movie called pay it forward it's kevin spacey if we still watch kevin spacey movies helen hunt uh Haley joel uh osmond is the kid and a lot of but that's the first time i'd heard of it It came out in 2000 not a bad movie and kind of heartstrings kind of movie 
And uh, that's the first time I remember hearing the phrase, pay it forward. What does it mean? Oh, okay, I see. Um, so it's it's been around, the concept has been around, um, imagine before that, but certainly in for the last you know quarter century or so, where this idea of paying it forward. Have you ever paid it forward or been on the other end of a pay it forward gesture? Here's Grant. Grant, go ahead. Yeah, I got, I, I guess I got two stories. One story was when I went to uh, a show out in Guelph and I went to through the drive through. Oh, it's been paid for. Huh? What's that all about? It's paid yeah, for. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's kind of nice. And then one time I went to a concert out in London. I, I lost my wallet. And I needed gas, and I was searching through my car for any change. So I just went to this gas station, and I said, I I have no money. My wallet is lost. So I phoned my friend up, and he wouldn't transfer any money over. So I said to the guy at the gas station, I have no money. Uh, give me your uh, license. And fill up and go home. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, and then I went back down to that gas station, too, uh, maybe a couple months later, just to uh, thank them again. You know, because how would have I gotten home, you know? (laughs) No kidding. No kidding. And the guy at a gas station, wow, I mean... A cup of coffee at Tim's, a, a beautiful gesture, but it's a cup of coffee at Tim's, a tank of gas. That's that's great. Grant, thanks for the call. Appreciate the the heartwarming stories there. And I think the first time I was a recipient was actually a Tim Hortons. Um, I I was working for a friend for a couple of years, at, and there was a huge Tim Hortons, major intersection Tim Hortons on the way, so that's where I'd go. But the the lineup, you understand, it was, a, it was on the corner of north, south, east, west. So the, you had to line up going north and then turn in. Uh, but then people always entered from the east-west side and then they didn't, they were, there's no way to get in line there. So they would have to basically go out, go east, make a U-turn, make a left, come back, make a U-turn, get back in line. And you could tell the, the habitual criminals, you know, the guys who always just tried to butt in. But every once in a while you can, yeah, and you can kind of tell sometimes where somebody just made a mistake and now they don't know what to do. So I'm in line properly because I I have the routine down now. And this guy pulls in and he's like, oh, it's got to go all the way around, out, back, oh. So I let him in, knowing that the people behind me are probably not going to approve of my decision, that now I'm, you know, I'm kind of making a gesture on their behalf as well. So, all right, I'll suffer the horn honks and whatever, but I let the guy in. Great. What a, you know, I'm a saint. Terrific for me. <laughs> right? And uh, when I get to the drive through, he's just like, yeah, you paid for your coffee and bagel. And I'm like, wow. And he was gone. I couldn't even honk, honk, thanks. I couldn't, he was already gone. And I was like, oh, this is paid forward. This is paid forward. This is nice. And you always hear on these stories of paying it forward, um, or at least you did, maybe not so much now in our current economic condition. But you'd hear of like a place in Ontario in the north or in Calgary or someplace you'd hear where they just they set a record for paying it forward of 
335 cars, you know, right? You hear those? Somebody pays it forward. So, oh, somebody paid for me. Okay. I'll pay for the guy behind me. And the chain just keeps going and going and going and going. And it goes for like 335 cars. I'm like, that's incredible. That's incredible. And who's the 336th guy? Maybe he can't afford it. Or maybe he's just a, somebody paid for me. Yes. We were on a run here. Do you want to pay for the guy behind you? Nope. No, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good with my free coffee. Get out of here. <laughs> and also by time you're getting to that window, they already know you're like, I'll pay for the guy behind me. What's he getting? Uh, he's getting lunch for 30 people. Oh, oh okay. Never mind then. I'll, you know, it's, it's like, you already know what the guy behind me, he's getting coffee and a bagel. Okay. I'll pay for that. Sure. You know, um, I, I don't, I don't see as much of it as, I haven't heard one of those stories of the consecutive pay it forwards. I, I'm hoping they exist. There's lots of ways to pay it forward. That's our question today on the flip side. Have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a pay it forward gesture? Uh, 519-570-2545. That's 519-570-2545. 1-800-570-5715 or star 570 on your cell. I want to give a shout out too to uh, this pay it forward concept that's happening at a, a couple restaurants, one in Arthur, one in Bellwood. Um, Arthur, the restaurant is Aaron's Place. And in Bellwood, it's uh, Super Snacks. And the two uh, restaurants are owned by the uh, same people. And they would notice a um, somebody come in sometime for a, a meal or a coffee and and uh, didn't seem to be able to really afford it. So they'd, they'd give them a meal. They wanted to give back to the community. So they would they would say, you know what? Listen, this time it's okay. Here's Here's the coffee or the meal or whatever. It's on us as a way of paying back to the community for being patrons of the restaurant and, and welcoming these people into the community for the restaurants. So what happened after that in Wellington County was, was these people in the restaurant would start to see this and say, Oh, that's nice. You know what? I'm going to buy somebody a meal. So they have, I don't know if you've heard of this. This has been on the news a couple of places, but I don't know if the Wellington County restaurants have been Arthur and Bell would have been in the news, but these, the story kind of idea has been in the news where at, at these types of sort of restaurant, diner, sandwich kind of places, you know, in other words, not uh, five star expensive restaurants, these kind of places where uh, I go to, I go in and I have my, uh, you know, my, let's say I have my all day breakfast and then I buy a meal for somebody else and the receipt gets pinned up on a bulletin board at the front of the restaurant. So if somebody comes in and says, you know, I don't know, I'm kind of hungry. I don't have a lot of money. What can I buy? And they just say, well, you know what? Why don't you go to that bulletin board over there, pick one of those receipts, bring it to me, and you get that meal because it's already been paid for by somebody else. That's paying it forward. That's paying it forward. You might say, what's the difference between paying it forward and just making a donation? Not much. <laughs> I mean... Making a donation is paying it forward because you're not paying anybody back. You're not, you're not, uh, profiting. You're not, you're just, so it's, it's, I'm just putting it out there for somebody's betterment. That's forward. It's forward thinking. It's paying it forward. So have you ever paid it forward 
or have you ever been the recipient of a paid forward gesture? And the thing about this, I, I was watching the one of these good news segments of people who are making a difference during the holidays and all this stuff. And there was this kid who was collecting for needy people. And the kid said, uh, you know, we try and get these donations, but uh, kindness is free. So we can always share kindness. I was like, yeah, that's okay, kid. You're wiser than most of us. Kindness is free. The gesture doesn't can be for somebody in need, but it just just be anybody. Hey, you know what? I want to do a kind thing for the person behind me. I'm buying their coffee. Uh, let's see if we can get a couple more calls before we uh, go to break. This is Laura. Laura, go ahead. Oh, hello. Hi. Hi. So mine isn't uh, money, but years ago I was in a walk-in Tim Hortons lineup. I don't know, two or three people ahead of me. And the poor young girl made a mistake in her till, and she was flustered. And the person she was dealing with was very impatient with her. And so she did whatever she did, and that one went on, and the next person was kind of anxious, and she you could see this poor girl just could not get her tail straightened out, and she had to deal with the next lineup, next person in line, and the next person in line. And so I walked up to her, and she looked at me so pained, and I said, you know what? I'm not in a hurry. Fix your tail. <laughs> so I stood there while oh. she straightened out what she had to do, and a smile on her face, took my order, and off I went. So that was paying it forward, because then she didn't lose her cookies. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. The kindness is free. That, and, right. and, and you paid it forward. That's right. lovely. Yep. All right. Have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Have a nice day as well. Grant. Hello, Grant. Yes. Uh, ten years ago, uh, I was in pretty dire straits, and my uncle, too, when it comes to Christmas time. We really had no family to have Christmas together with, and... We weren't sure what we were going to do. And Krabby Joe's and Lestwell advertised that uh, if you come to the restaurant on Christmas Day, you could get a free meal. Mm. So the two of us went, and it was wonderful. Mm. And it was another one of them situations where uh, the Krabby Joe's and Lestwell they gave back to the community on Christmas Day to lonesome people who had very little and served a Christmas dinner. Great. Grant, thanks for the story. Appreciate it. Have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a pay-it-forward gesture? That's our flip side question. More of your stories in a moment. Larry Fedorkin from Mike Farwell today. Mike is back tomorrow. Our flip side question today that came out of Mike's show on Tuesday when they were talking about paying it forward uh, said, boy, this would be a good flip side question. And here it is. Have you ever paid it forward or been the recipient of a pay it forward gesture? Uh, That's some heartwarming stories so far, uh, add yours at uh, 519-570-2545. That's 570-2545 locally. 1-800-570-5715 or star 570 on your cell. I was mentioning the movie Pay It Forward, which is the first time I really heard the concept put that way of 
You're not paying it back because you can't, or the person who did you a favor or a gesture or, or, or donated something to you, whether it's monetarily or not, uh, they don't want any payback. So you pay it forward. Okay. Um, and they, and they can be acts of kindness. They don't have to be, like you say, buy the coffee of the guy behind you in the Tim's lineup, which is the most common one, which is great, by the way, because, um, it's, it's the guy behind you in the drive through has a vehicle and is in line at Tim Hortons. So he can, he, she can probably afford a Tim Hortons. Why are you buying them? Act of kindness, act of kindness. And acts of kindness come out of awareness. And again, I'm just, I walk, walk into the pharmacy and I'm immediately my little, my little route there. I cut to the right and go down that aisle. And then at the end, go back to the dispensary at the back. And there's a woman trying to actually climb on the bottom shelf of the shelving to reach something on top. And I'm just like, do you, need any, do you need any help? And that's the thing. You you should ask, do they need, maybe they don't want help. So you can't assume that somebody in, let's say, in a wheelchair needs your help because you say, would you like some help? Do you need any help? Can I do this? for?" And they will tell you, no, I'm okay. Sometimes they want to be independent. She's like, yeah, no. I say, she goes, I, I want that one on top because it's on sale. And I'm like, yeah, great. Um. And I just, I felt better. I'm sure she did. You know, the world is happening, you know, <laughs> cooperative, you know, started singing Kumbaya and it was all fine. But, but really, you know, acts of kindness, be aware, acts of kindness, paying it forward. Uh, is this Gail? Gail, go ahead. Hi there. A few years back, I was standing in the city cafe uh, one day waiting while they were making me my lunch and a young dad came in and ordered his lunch and the staff person took his order, and then he started going through his backpack. He was frantically opening all of his zippers, trying to find it, and he couldn't find his wallet. And I could tell that the young man had a bit of a, a learning disability of sorts. Um, and I have a son about his age who also has a learning disability. And as I stood there watching, and then he said to the staff, you know, I, I don't have my money. I, I don't know where my wallet is. And he was starting to get upset. And they're like, no problem. You know, we, we don't have to make your sandwich. And I, without even thinking, I was like, no, make his sandwich. And I handed over the money. And I thought mm. I would sure hope that someone would do that for my son. If, there you go. If that was in, he was not circumstance. So that's yeah. my story. Thank you, Gail. And, and way to go. Also, way to do that. I think that's that's terrific. Uh, and and you do. I was I was I was just having that thought as Gail told the story is because you you wish somebody would do that for um, your uh, kid. I, w- I was I was at the store the other day and uh, um, the woman at the cashier, the cashier and I, the one at the cash, we're kind of familiar strangers. We don't know each other's name or anything about it, but. Um, this this young girl comes up to her, another staffer, and they're talking about a couple of things. And she goes, "By the way, uh, we're off at the same time. I'll I'll drive you home tonight." She goes, "Don't don't have to call your dad. I'll drive you home." And so I sit there. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, you know, whatever. And she goes, "Well, I'd want somebody to do this for my daughter." And I'm like, "There you go. 
there you go. It's not, it's not the reason you do it so that the world works in some magnificent karma that you get paid back. But you kind of wish those things when you do nice things that I wish there was more of this. Anyway, thank you for your stories on the flip side today. Pay it forward uh, or uh, pay it forward gesture that you are a part of. So, all right. Thank you for those responses still to come on the show today. Uh, in our lunch hour, we're going to talk to Diane Freeman next. She's a, a ward for a counselor for Waterloo. And there's a, a huge new, de- probably the largest development ever in Waterloo for housing. And so it's like 12, 12 towers. I was going to say 12 stories. That's another actually residence building that's going up. We'll talk about both of those with uh, Diane Freeman. And then a Cambridge brewery that just signed a deal on Dragon's Den for a golf beer. Yeah, you heard right. That's next hour here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Mike will be back tomorrow on the program to close out your week. Speaking of Fridays, on the 22nd, a week from tomorrow, uh, I'll be closing out your week. So I will be back uh, at least one more time this year on City News 570. Thanks for having me here today. Coming up just after 1230 on today's program, we're going to have a Cambridge Craft Brewery on because uh, they just signed a deal with the Dragon's Den, on Dragon's Den, I guess, with one of the uh, investors. And it's for a new craft beer. Uh, I've got the name of it here, but I'm saving it for when they come on because it's golf-related. They're kind of going after the golf cart market and the golf market with this with this beer. <laughs> what a name. It's a great name. I'm sure that helped sell the, the whole concept on Dragon's Den. We'll find out. When uh, the Farm League Brewing Company uh, is going to join us just after 1230. Uh, some good news out of uh, Waterloo. Uh, s- some more good news out of Waterloo. One of the largest developments the city has ever seen, if not the largest, has been approved. Uh, we're talking about a 12-tower complex. And um, gosh, what that translates to in uh, housing, including some affordable housing. Uh, also a residence at U Waterloo. So uh, a lot to talk about. Our guest is Ward 4 Waterloo Counselor, Diane Freeman. Hello, Counselor Freeman. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Larry. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on to talk about this. Uh, tell me about this, where this big development is, by the way, off uh, just off Highway 85. What area exactly? It's essentially where Highway 85 meets Northfield Drive in North Waterloo. So it's, it's, it encompasses the lands that are on the southeast corner of Northfield and Highway 85. And, um, okay, I'm trying to picture it. Uh, not that I know the area super well, but I do know the area. Uh, so it's, there's, what's there now? Virtually nothing? Well, it actually used to be the Kraus Carpets Manufacturing Facility, which was oh, right, a mainstay right. there for years. And, and I've looked at pictures or, I guess, uh, architectural drawings, artist renderings of the development, but uh, tell, me, tell me about it. A 12, 12 tower complex? Sounds massive. I think that the main feature of this development is the public park space upon which all of the multi-residential buildings are structured around. And so 
it's working hard to essentially bring 3,000 rental housing units online while creating um, a very strong, livable pedestrian realm through a public, a private company. But it also still retains employment lands to the south side of the parcel. So um, the parcel is not entirely shifting away from employment uses. Right. Well, I mean, employment, along with housing and and park and pedestrian, that's called a community, right? I think that's what you're trying to build here. Absolutely. This this will be a vertical neighborhood. And it's it's more towers in one location than we've constructed in the past in the city. But more importantly, this is one of many developments in the Northeast Ward, where I'm the councillor, that is currently under consideration for the city council. And um, there are a number of parcels where development applications have been received of a similar magnitude of development along King Street at Weber. So is this particular, the, the one we're talking about, has that been approved already? Yes. Uh, council that, that approved is. the application for the property on the former Crosslands okay. on Monday night. Okay. Okay. And you say you have others. So a- addressing uh, an increasing population and housing needs is, is well underway. Oh, absolutely. The city has already approved enough developments to meet the province of Ontario housing targets for the city of Waterloo, which is 16,000 units. I guess our challenge as a municipality is that we don't have any tools to force development to actually happen. Well, while we've undertaken all of the approvals, it doesn't mean that we have the ability to compel a landowner to start that building. Wow. Okay. And, and, um, Tell me more about that because I'm interested in that. And in, in that, does somebody have that ability to compel a developer to do it? Only the province could change legislation that would allow municipalities to withdraw an approval if a development did not initiate within a reasonable time frame. So essentially, what I'm trying to say is that there's land locked up that has development approvals in place, but for many reasons, some landowners and developers are not advancing. One of them is interest rates right now. Another is that the condominium market is not very strong. The rental market is stronger. And so sometimes that requires a landowner to reconsider their their development and think about how they might change it from being a condominiumized development over to um, a residential um, apartment styled rental unit instead. So there's, there's a lot of market drivers and the city is only a small player in terms of, of encouraging housing starts. Mm Mm-hmm. And within that, I think there's a goal of affordable housing, because when you say rental, that's a little more within reach than, say, purchasing a condominium for a lot of people. But that doesn't necessarily make it affordable. You want to have affordable housing within the within the system? 
So this landowner at the Krause Carpets property has committed to building both affordable and attainable housing as a part of their mix of housing at the development on Northfield and uh, 85. So at this point, we don't have the details on what the percentage of that mix will be, but the, the landowner advised council on Monday that they plan to make um, a true commitment. The suggestion was that it wouldn't be tokenism, but that they that they wanted to make a difference as it related to the affordable and attainable housing market. On this particular project, should development start first thing next year or whatever, that's still, even at that, construction is what, usually two years, two years plus? Two months. So that will take a bit of time to build that structured parking underground. They're currently demolishing the buildings at the site, so the demolition has to be completed and permits pulled. But this landowner is very excited about this property. At least that's what they've certainly conveyed to council. It goes without say that council approved this development application unanimously. So council also is excited about this development. And to the extent possible, the city is is in support of helping this this landowner achieve the goals for that site. What I was getting at is is that this this is all a process that does take time, and and I understand uh, maybe a need for change in legislation, and I'm, people are still going to want to wait for interest rates to to drop a little bit or stabilize. Uh, but in this timeline of getting these these things ready, are they commensurate with the timeline of the population increase? In other words, is there a possibility that the two will actually arc and meet together? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're hopeful that the the landowners said that they weren't bound by the interest rate hikes that are in place right now, that we're planning to advance the construction of these buildings immediately. They said they would like to have five towers constructed by 2031. So they're on a very aggressive um, construction schedule to, to complete that many towers in five years. And so... I'm excited and hopeful that 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 could play out. This is a great example of how higher order transit, like the the rail transit system that the region invested in, is supporting higher order and high density residential development. This is located in a transit area for the Conestoga Mall transit site. And it's also essentially across expressway from the Northfield transit station. So if the pedestrian walkway across the expressway from this property over to the Northfield station is completed as planned, that connectivity will be a real game changer to move people and goods by active transportation routes from the Ward 3 over to Ward mm-hmm. 4 and on to Conestoga Mall and other destinations along King Street. 
Well, it's it's great to hear that it's it's moving along, and and as you've described, it's it's completely uh, ambitious, and of course, completely necessary as well. So, uh, given the the population growth forecast, so Diane, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I hope you have a great weekend. You as well, Diane Freeman, Ward Four Waterloo Counselor, about this new development, uh, twenty thirty one. Okay, I don't know what I was thinking. Two, two years for construction for 12 towers. I guess that's not, that's, um, but that's the, the eventual plan. And if you use go online, search it, most of the articles have the artist drawing of the area. And it's so important. I'm glad she pointed that out that it's, it's, it's got to be a vertical community. It can't just be 12 crammed together apartment towers or condo towers or whatever that, that, um, cause that's just, I know people, need a place to live and they'll live where they can afford to live and they'll take a place. But where people want to live is in a community. Um, where my daughter lives, there's, it's develop, developing around there. And I said to her, when I was over there one time, I said, I guess that those are all going to be condos and everything as well in the next couple of years. And she goes, no, that, that area, that area, that area is going to be park, park area. And I'm like, yeah, of course it makes total sense because you know, you hang around her building and you see people with dogs and with strollers and kids and everything. And where, where do they want to go? They want to walk some pavement over to the next building. No, they want to go to the park and they want to go on the swings and they, you know, build the community. And, and you also, you know, it just sort of points to the city planning system of, well, why do people want to live here? Because they're going to work over there because, well, where are the stores then? Well, they're over there. Well, what about if they don't live here, but they have to go there? Well, there's transit and all that has to come together in a way. So it's interesting to see. Um, the other, the other point I thought was interesting Diane made. I don't know if you caught this. Um, that, that Doug Ford is always on about, about how many homes Ontario is going to need. That's why he wrongly suggested developing the green belt which is um anyway i'm glad i don't know if that's over but i'm glad that it's at least people caught on uh because the the number of houses needed in ontario housing units needed in ontario those each municipality looked at that and said yeah we can do it without developing the green belt we there's we have places we have land we have these spots and those spots and the creative use of space. And uh, okay, but that was ignored and went ahead with the green belt. And we all know how that turned out. But what Diane said was like with, with the plans that they have approved and other plans submitted, they've met the criteria for Waterloo. They've met the criteria for we need this much housing. Uh, and part of that development, by the way, is a 12-story, uh, 12-story residence at University of Waterloo to uh, accommodate increasing uh, enrollment and students there as they forecast in the next couple of years. So that's part of this recently approved development. So good news there. Uh, more in a moment. This is City News 570. Be right back.
This landowner is very excited about this property. It goes without say that council approved this development application unanimously. So council also is excited about this development. And to the extent possible, the city is in support of helping this landowner achieve the goals for that site. Diane Freeman, Councillor Ward 4, Waterloo. Our guest moments ago... On the Mike Farwell Show, I'm Larry Fedorik sitting in for Mike today. Diane talking about um, council approving unanimously a 12-tower development, uh, some 30,000 housing units or 3,000, sorry, 12 towers, 3,000, yeah, it's more likely, 3,000 housing units in the first few towers, I guess, that would be um, ready by 2031 and eventually 12 um Towers off Highway 85 near Conestoga Mall, where the um, where where they also and if you see the artist renderings, they created a lot of walkway, pedestrian, and parkland through there. So you know, from the big picture, way up high, from the drone shot, yeah, a lot of towers. But when you're down on the ground, a lot of space too. People want the space. I don't think people mind kind of living in a tower next to a lot of other towers as long as there's some good family space down below, you know, pedestrian and otherwise. So kind of exciting for uh, Waterloo. Good for them. Hey, uh, apropos of nothing, here's an apropos of nothing. Did you hear this morning that Reader's Digest Canada is wrapping it up, I think, next year? I don't know, just one of those little items caught my ear. Uh, I think my mom, I've talked about my mom here. She passed last January age 94, I think up until like she was 92, she had a Reader's Digest subscription still, you know, and then her eyes started to go a little bit. So she, even the large print version, I don't even know if they still make a large print version. You ever seen one of those? See one of those in the doctor's office or something. You'd go somewhere and there'd be a large print version of Reader's Digest because you're used to this, this little, this little book, you know, those little book size things. And then you see this big magazine thing, and it's all the big print. And and uh, I could use one of those now, but <laughs> back then I used to kind of giggle at the big print version. But So we had Reader's Digest come into the house as long as I remember. And Reader's Digest, I don't have the complete history, but I, but I uh, did watch a thing. And it was basically that, was basically a concept where, why do we take little snippets of this and that? Because, you know, it's the it's the 1930s and people are so busy, they don't have time. And why don't we just take a little digest of some of the best articles and recipes from all these other places and put them together for convenient reading for people, for people who like to read. It's like a reader's digest. And this thing lasted like an incredible amount of time in Canada, ending next year, I guess, given people's reading habits and purchase of, of magazines and uh, other you know, periodicals or what have you. Right. So uh I was just, wow. And, and because it's in the house that, and, and especially when you're a, a, a younger kid or a teenager or whatever, it's like, what are you reading? You're not, you're not reading war and peace. You're watching TV, picking up TV guide or the reader's digest and going through there. I just was such a part of my life and to see Reader's Digest, Reader's Digest Canada. 
I don't know that the whole thing is folding, but certainly Reader's Digest Canada is wrapping it up next year. Just uh, one of those little passages that kind of caught my ear this morning and went, oh, isn't that something? Time marching on kind of feeling suddenly, right? Uh, Still to come on today's program, uh, do you watch Dragon's Den? Huh? Uh, at least you're aware of it. You've seen how it, it kind of works. Uh, you go on there, you pitch an idea, and then uh, if one of the investors likes it, they give you money. And that actually happens. It's not just a TV show. When the cameras stop rolling and somebody approves it, they have to cut some checks and and make this kind of thing happen. It's a real deal. A uh, Cambridge craft brewery, uh, it's called Farm League Brewing, just uh, signed a deal on Dragon's Den with one of the investors for this beer, this golf-themed beer that they have. And you'll love the name, and we're going to give you the name when we have them on in just a few minutes. Uh, they're coming up next to talk about the Dragon's Den and the uh, the beer on the golf course and uh, all of that. It's next here on City News 570. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Welcome back to the program. Mike Farwell, as I said, returns tomorrow. I'll also um, plug that a week from tomorrow on the 22nd, I think Mike is going to get an early start on the holiday weekend. And uh, I'll be uh, joining you one more time, at least before year end here on City News 570. Always one of my favorite things to do is is, uh, filling in here on the Mike Farwell Show. And may I say just a public thanks to Mike today for actually uh, working a lot on this show, even though he actually couldn't be here to host it today. That uh, put a lot of work into the show and, and found some great topics and guests and questions to uh, to talk about today, including including this. Well, this is a, a a great story. There is a Cambridge brewery, a craft brewery, that has uh, struck a deal on Dragon's Den. Now I can tell you, in the world of TV, they did strike this deal a little while ago, but now they can make it uh, public, right? Because it's uh, it's out there. And the name of the the beer and the theme of this is really worth noting, and we'll get it from our guest. He's a co-founder of Farm League Brewing, Colin McKinnon, joining us. Hello, Colin. Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me. Hey, cheers to you. Thanks for coming on. Um, congratulations, first of all. Yeah, thank you so much. It means a lot. Uh, this this uh, pitch. Tell me about the pitch because I, I've I've held back the name of this beer for the entire show because I wanted you to say it and and uh, tell me about the pitch you made to Dragons Den. Yeah, so just to uh, kind of sum up the whole thing, uh, you know uh, how the whole kind of thing came together. So uh, yeah, we're Farm League Brewing, uh, based in Cambridge, and uh, about a, about a, two years ago we made the decision that we uh, we really love golf, we really want to spend more time on the golf course. And if we had to choose one way to do that, uh, making a golf-themed beer uh, should hopefully uh, get us out on the golf course a little bit more. And we uh, opted to call the beer Birdie Juice, uh, which is, uh, if, you, if you're a golfer, you'll know what that means. Uh, it's kind of a fun celebratory drink while being out on the golf course. And, uh, yeah, uh, when, you know, when the COVID lockdowns were happening, we were kind of figuring out a way to uh, diversify what we were doing. And uh, it felt like a really fun idea, and it felt like a, a Dragon's Den potential idea. Right. Birdie juice, birdie juice. So let me get this straight, Colin, you and your co-founders. You already live in the dream of most guys, which is to start a brewery and make beer. But (laughs) on top of that, you want to spend more time on the golf course. This is a that's that's living the dream, my friend. 
you know, you only get to live once. So, I mean, uh, we just always try to think of things that we would love to do every day and we uh, find a way to make it in the, uh, in the beer industry. <laughs> well, part of the thing is too, was it you or uh, one of your guys was, was like, you've been a dragon's den fan for a long time. That's me. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've yeah. seen every episode. And I think uh, since I was in elementary school, uh, I think it was grade six or seven, uh, our, our uh, teachers would show the episodes and I was, uh, I've been obsessed ever since I, I watch it like it's a Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, cool. So why go to Dragon's Den? Um, why not just, I don't know, go, get a loan and try and uh, find an investor? And well, I guess because you love the show, but but you, you decided to try and make a pitch for a, for a backer or an investor there. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. I mean, selfishly, I, I've always wanted to be on the show, and I always, uh, I always wanted to go on the show and hopefully not embarrass myself. Uh, so that was uh, the other part of it. So we had always been kind of like talking about the idea of doing something on Dragon's Den if it ever felt right. Uh, and with that brand specifically, uh, as I mentioned, we're we're a small brewery in Cambridge uh, in Galt, and uh, with Birdie Juice, our vision for that brand was to be a little bit bigger and even you know larger than our region and kind of you know look at provincial distribution and uh, you know. Canada-wide distribution. And when you start to get into those kind of bigger ideas, especially with one singular brand like that, that grows with the sport of golf, uh, it felt like it was an idea that the Dragon's Den could see the scalable potential of. So that was kind of, uh, when we sat down and talked about it, it was kind of in the same conversation of us thinking of the brand is like, this could be something cool that maybe even, maybe even the Dragon's Den would be interested. So I, I'm, Unlike you, I, I'm not a bit as big a fan of Dragons, and I've seen it obviously. But uh, so, t- for those who aren't, you know, too familiar, tell me what the pitch is like. It's not just a dry boardroom pitch. You have to kind of come up with a show almost. No, it's it's very much uh, it's, it's TV. It's uh, it, it is very much uh, a TV show, and uh, you know, from the beginning of the process that you start talking to them, they they, they talk about that like one part of it is definitely your business, but the other is like, what is your pitch? Like, why will people care? But also what makes for good TV? Like what would make it interesting for somebody who knows nothing about beer or golf or care? Uh, what would make them uh, be interested to see what you have to talk about? So very much from kind of day one of the, the process of dealing with the producers, it was like, you know, what, what can you do to make it interesting? And we, we kind of went above and beyond our whole goal from the minute we started talking to them was like, we want to create as much of a party on the set as we can. Cause that's our, 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 our beer is very celebratory but also we want to obviously bring the game of golf in there and, you know, make golf a part of the pitch. And I mean, we had, we had a golf cart, we, we built out a golf hole. We had a, you know, a, a spectator section around the side of the uh, audience, like <laughs> cheering us on as we went as if it was a golf crowd. So we went all in, we wanted to have as much fun as we could. Wow. So you hired extras or you, or were they family and friends, I guess. It's not hard to find family and friends to go on TV and drink beer. <laughs> i guess not uh is is this aired by the way yet yeah so we were uh we were one of the first episodes of the season so it would have aired uh okay. i guess it probably would be in the beginning of at some point in october i mean we we filmed in oh, May. okay yeah yeah so it's been a it's been a it's been a long process <laughs> so so you, you 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 shot it in may you went there and pitched in may yeah i think the whole process started in december or january and then you make it through one level and then another level and then another level. And then, yeah, we were, we pitched at the beginning of May and then we aired towards the beginning of the season. Now in May, when you're pitching, how soon do you find out? You find out on the show that somebody says I'm interested or does that, do they kind of do that later and edit it together? Yeah, they, they do let you know on the spot. You're obviously not allowed to tell anybody. So, you know, the results uh, with us, we had a lot more people who knew the results only because we had 15 of our, <laughs> our friends in the studio with us. Uh, but they, they definitely let you know on the spot if you got a deal or not, but you have no idea if you're going to be on TV. And we didn't even, they don't, 
they don't even let you know. They you, you find out the way everybody else does, which is uh, they put up a post on Facebook talking about the pitches on this week's episode, and there we were. So as much as it is a TV show, it's not just a TV show. Somewhere, somebody's got to hand you a check or something, right? Absolutely. Yep, no, it's, it's, it is real. <laughs> it is real business. Right. Now, the Birdie Juice, go- uh, Birdie Juice Golf, Birdie Juice Beer, did, yep. did you have a beer and this is how you marketed it, or, or was it just the pitch at the time? No, and that was something that we really wanted to make sure of. And as a, as a fan of the show, uh, you learn how many people go into the Dragon's Den and uh, get kind of ripped into pieces because they uh, don't actually have a product yet and they're pre, pre-launch. For us, at that point, we had already been to market for over a year. So we had numbers, we had, uh, we had customers, we had fans. So that made us a little bit more prepared. Um, and what kind of what kind of beverage is this? So it's craft beer. So our, our whole vision was in the sport of golf, like the, the sport is growing. It's becoming, you know, more fun, more a younger crowd. And, you know, when people go to the golf course, they kind of have the same expectations for beverage as they would expect no matter where they go. And we found that the, the beer programs at a lot of golf courses were a little bit stale. It was kind of the same options. It was the same beers that you'd seen for 50 years. And then with us being a craft brewery, like our whole thing is making beers that are easy to drink enjoyable um but also are made with real ingredients that are made by real people in you know a small business and for us we just kind of bring try to bring that craft beer ethos into uh into beer and make yeah easy to drink beer that people can enjoy and have fun with all right so is birdie juice is it like i'm not an expert but is it is it a blonde is it an like what kind of beer we have we have a couple we launched with just uh primarily the ipa so it's a it's okay. uh, for craft beer fans. They would call the session IPA, uh, which basically just means it's not as high alcohol percentage as traditional IPAs. Uh, it lands in the low four percent, so it's closer to a Bud Light when it comes to percentage of beer than it is to a, a heavy craft beer that you might be used to. But we launched with the IPA, and then we added a light lager, uh, which is a Mexican style lager, and then we also added a sour. So it is a um, it is a fruited sour. So for those fans who maybe don't love beer but love white wine or kind of tart tart drinks uh the sour is kind of a perfect golf course companion for you i'm telling you if 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 i was an investor you just won me over you're pitching me well man and this <laughs> this is really good uh so let, let's say you can get on a golf course you can be sold on a golf course in cambridge but is your goal to kind of be out there and potentially across the country or just to increase that part of your business and grow Absolutely. And that was kind of a part of the reason why we wanted to go on the show. The, the brand was kind of ready for its next, uh, its next chapter. And I mean, every year we, yeah, we double the amount of courses or more and we are expanding through beer stores and, uh, other retail, other retail, which, you know, with the beer store, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how long they're around for. Um, but for us, like our whole thing was about farther and farther distribution. Uh, and yeah, this year we, we, you know, we're up to almost a hundred golf courses and next year it should be even more. So not only are we in Cambridge and our region, we're, you know, as far north as Ottawa, as far you know south as London and Windsor, so we're all over the place. Wow! So you got to make a lot of it, and you got a distribution. I imagine that's an expense as well. But you guys are on it. Yeah, it, it's getting more and more expensive uh, to do distribution. Yeah. So for us, it's like scale is is really important, but we're trying to do it as uh, as smartly as we can. We're a small team of uh, less than uh, ten people, basically. So uh, everything, uh, yeah, everything's got to go a long way. Are, are you allowed to say, or do you even want to say how much the investor is in for? Or, yeah, uh, no, I, I don't mind saying it at all. So, yeah, they came in for uh, they came in at a two, for two hundred thousand uh, dollars. I'm actually blanking at the at the moment for the amount of uh, I think 
the amount of equity on the show that I think it was, it was 25%, uh, I believe, uh, which I, I should know that off the top of my head, but uh, it was a negotiation. And to be honest, we're actually still in the due diligence uh, process of it takes a lot longer. Uh, the TV is only right. one portion of the deal. But, yeah, happily working with their team to work through details right now. And uh, things are looking up for 2024. Isn't that great? Listen, is the equity in the brewery or in this particular product? It was specifically the brand. and we The you know, brand, that, okay, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, for us, like you know, we we wanted to go in there with a brand that was scalable and could grow. And a building and a brewery is a uh, it's a small it's a small portion of what we're doing. So yeah, it was just the brand. Uh, what did you make of the news today? As as craft brewers reacting to the fact that beer might be in the corner stores and in the gas stations and so on and so forth in twenty twenty six, is that yeah. like, good news for you or or a big challenge or what is it? It's exciting. I mean, for us, like, we're always looking for any opportunity for distribution and options to change. I think, like, you know, with many people in craft beer, I, I would have to have a, a, you know, a little bit of a hazard concern that uh, the the walls of the larger breweries will probably break down a lot quicker. And you'll see primarily just large breweries at a lot of these distribution places compared to craft beer. But that being said, I think that if the framework, it you know, has a little piece of the pie available for craft beer to help expand it, 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 it should be a win craft beer and make uh, even more local options available to buy uh, to buy product what happens if a large brewery says i um i just want to buy you out it's a good question uh you know we we think about that a lot and i think the industry uh is in kind of a little bit of a tough place at the moment and what you're seeing is a lot of a lot of small breweries going away even a lot of big breweries going away just because of the, the habits of customers but also the state of the economy has yeah. affected things yeah. a little bit for us we we're we do a lot of creative things for us to, you know, you know, stay on top of who we are as a business. I think for us, like, if an opportunity ever came around maybe one day for growth with a partner like that, uh, it would be something worth looking at. But we didn't get into this to, to sell to the big guys. Yeah. If anything, we're, we're kind of anti the big guys. <laughs> well, good for you. I, I wanted to ask you about that because I was half kidding about living the dream because I think a lot of guys would go, well, I should make my own beer, start my own brewery. But you guys, you guys did it, and here you are thriving at it. Uh, tell me a little bit about that process anyway of actually getting it done. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a very interesting time. I mean, we did it right in the middle of COVID. Uh, you know, we, we launched our corporation to, to start the process at the end of 2020. So we were kind of in the thick of it. And I, the way I look at it is that it was a really, really hard time to start a business, uh, especially in brewing, but we couldn't have did it any other way. We, we got very fortunate that Due to the pandemic and other, you know, economic issues, we were able to acquire all of our equipment and our building that probably wouldn't have been available if the pandemic hadn't happened because they'd probably still mm. be open working with it. So it was kind of serendipitous for us to be opening when we did. Uh, it is a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Uh, and it's really yeah. hard. And uh, we're a team of, you know, we're all in our late 20s, early 30s uh, over here. So it's uh, it, w- it was a big risk uh, for us in our life. But, you know, we were all really passionate about it. And uh yeah, we 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 had the same dream that I think most uh, most most guys have about opening a brewery, but we uh, yeah. we didn't give up. Good for you. Now, you mentioned getting on the golf courses, and you're on a lot of golf courses already available. Uh, your brand is there. What about these uh, golf simulator places, uh, mm-hmm. like indoor driving ranges, where often they will have a bar or something? Oh, yeah. We, we always say that golf simulators are more bars with a golf simulator, not a golf simulator with a bar. Uh, right, right. They, are, they have a lot of fun. They, you know, by, by leaders per uh, golfer, I, I, would, I would argue that a golf simulator probably moves through more product than a golf course. Uh, and 
in our region especially, I think we have probably the highest amount of simulators per capita than anywhere else in, in Ontario, and we work with all of them, and uh, they're amazing. You know, for us as a business, it's amazing, but it's just so much fun. It's, 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 it's truly like an adult playground at these simulators, and uh, yeah, we're, we've, this is our third year now working with the simulators, and uh, yeah, we look forward to it. <laughs> it's, it's too much fun. Well, congratulations on uh, your success and, and the way you paint 2024. I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping this all happens, and I'm sure it will. And uh, way to go on Dragon's Den as well. Uh, thank you for your time today, Colin. All the best. Thank you so much. All right. That is Colin McKinnon. He's one of the founders of uh, Farm League Brewing. And I just love that. It's like, here's some guys, 20s and 30s, first of all, jealous already. Yeah. And said, we should have our own brewery. And they did it. And then they, so they make beer. As, as they're living, and then they go, well, how do we spend more time on the golf course? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, okay. I get that kind of thing. And and anyway, they, they have Birdie Juice, which is a brand of, it's like three different kinds of beers that fall under Birdie Juice that, that they've made since. And the reason I asked them about what kind of beers, because I'm a, when I, I love craft beer, but I love beer that tastes like beer. I'm just one of those guys that's like, yeah, this beer has a pumpkin flavor. Oh, get out. It's, it's got to have some beer uh, beer flavor to it. And when he's talking about an IPA and a lager, and I'm like, yeah, you see, this is this is beer for beer lovers. Um, and they and they call it birdie juice, and it's kind of directed at, you know, um widening the choice you would have for a beverage, a cool one on the golf course. So there you go. Good story. Good story. Back with more. This is City News 570. Larry Fedorikin for Mike Farwell. Back in a moment. Larry Fedorikin for Mike Farwell. We kind of ended the the day where we started with beer, huh? Uh, the, the craft beer story there that you just heard at the beginning of the show at 9 o'clock this morning, we were talking about the news that got everybody's attention this morning early. Is a, Actually, I guess yesterday, uh, Doug Ford had done a little uh, preamble thing, you know, a little video clip of, got some big news for you tomorrow, and, uh, you know, we'll tell you tomorrow. And and uh i i never like those it's you know how do you keep an idiot in suspense i don't know how i'll tell you tomorrow it's you know that old joke <laughs> it's like so i'll tell you tomorrow what i got for you uh but we, we kind of knew of course that 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 news was the change in liquor laws uh that um Doug Ford announced today at 11 o'clock this morning made it official where uh, and this again all starts January 1st, 2026. But in Ontario, and I, I, in some ways I'm good with this. I mean, you know, let's, let's move along. But in Ontario, uh, the grocery stores will be able to sell 12 and 24 packs and convenience stores will be able to sell beer and so will gas stations and, and brewers retail will at some point, I guess, still handle collection and recycling. And, but there's fewer and fewer of those beer stores already i don't imagine you know if you have uh, and liquor stores can sell different quantities of beer so if you if beer is available at all these places and of course the liquor stores the the lcbo has converted a lot of their stores and their newer stores have refrigerated beer sections okay so that's the other thing remember where even when it started you could buy beer at the liquor store but it was warm beers you had to go home get a cool 
you're going fishing, put it in the lake, you know, <laughs> uh, all these, all these techniques, uh, where if you've got all kinds of places to buy cold beer, I don't know how long the beer store stays around, but even at that time, the beer store probably still handles distribution, uh, to these convenience stores, gas station and, and LCBO, which they do, uh, still handle distribution there. So, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, two beer stores around me have just gone, just closed. No explanation, just closed. And I know they're both going to be condos very soon. So better use of land, I guess. George, George, go ahead. You're on City News 570. Yeah, Larry. Oh, you brought back good memories, putting those warm beers in the lake or a nice cold <laughs> running creek. Make sure it's nice and cold later on. Um, it's always great to hear from you, Larry. I want to wish you a happy Merry Christmas if we don't hear from you. Great show, and uh, thank you for all you do. Thank you, George. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. All right. Uh, you will hear from me one more time before Christmas. Uh, I am scheduled, you know, and it should work out a week from tomorrow. Mike is back tomorrow, as I've been mentioning throughout the show. Um He's on assignment today, but he'll be back tomorrow. But a week from tomorrow, I get to close out your week. So on the 22nd, I'll be back, uh, you know, hosting the Mike Farwell show, guest hosting the Mike Farwell show. So I will be back one more time before the uh, the holidays. But um, really, I hope um, that you have a great weekend and that, you know, you get all your shopping done and all those kinds of things and um, I noticed that still, I was on the bus the other day and I'm getting off the bus. And I did when I, it was just a short bus hop. I decided to take the bus this extra few blocks. And uh, so I didn't notice much when I got on. I just kind of sat down, was in my own little space. And it's getting off the bus behind me. There's a young couple and he is carrying, uh, vertically arms wrapped around, uh, like a seven foot Christmas tree in the netting. <laughs> like, you bought a Christmas tree and brought it home on the bus. Good for you. Like, seriously, good for you, dude. And I was like, I, 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 uh, did the, did the tree have its own seed? I guess so. But, uh, he and his young couple, and I was just kind of watching them walk, uh, walk kind of behind them. And they turned into their little apartment building there. And I was like, that's, that's young adventures of a young couple. Remember when we took the bus and bought a Christmas tree? And there, and then they carried it together. He took the front, she took the back, and they grabbed their fingers into the netting and they, they walked carrying this tree. And it was just a little holiday moment that I enjoyed watching them. So hope you get all that done. And, uh, as I say, we will get a chance to talk one more time before, uh, Christmas. Uh, and, uh, maybe we can have kind of, and it's a Friday when I'm on next time. So I believe we have the free phone so we can do all kinds of holiday and Christmas chit chat. Next week. However, tomorrow, Mike Farwell back on this radio station. Thank you once again. Don't forget to catch my podcast. It's called Later This Same Life. New episodes out on Thursday. Today's episode is called A Failure of Imagination. I don't know if you've heard that phrase recently, but it's an interesting um, description of events. So uh, check that out wherever you get your podcasts or on my YouTube channel, and we will talk in just over a week's time. This is City News 570.